Hello there and welcome to the Bunkerzilla Film Roar here at Bunkerzilla UK, your place where we digest the latest movie news and movie reviews. And I'm your host as always, Ian Bolton, and I'm joined by my cinematic partner in crime, it's Christian R. Allen. Hello. Hello there, how are you doing? <laughs> that was an exciting hello you, for me. You. Did you know did you know the R in Christian R. Allen stands for really hot? Is is that the current climate of the room you're in or your self-worth? What do you think? It's it's the, it's the latter, obviously. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so muggy. It, yeah. I, I, I'm just... It, it's, it, anyone who's listening beyond the uh, borders of Brit- Great Britain, I don't think people appreciate just how terrible the weather in this country is because um, already today it's been blisteringly cold outside and boilingly... Boilingly? That's a word, isn't it? Boilingly hot. Yes, yeah. Yes. I, I, I do good words for audio podcast thing. We may need to invest in thesauruses for both of us. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I, I watched Jurassic Park last week, remember? Oh, yes. <laughs> that was that was a dreadful joke. I do apologise. Oh, they're, oh, no. they're not as bad as the <laughs> usual punchlines from a Tim Vine special. Tim Vine. Oh, that was good. That was good fun. Mm, yeah. Do you, think, do you think we enjoyed Tim Vine more because we were slightly intoxicated? Possibly. But also the jokes were <laughs> were awful, but they were good awful. Well, it's, I don't. I I I am a big fan of bad comedy so long as it's intentional. Yeah, like, I, I love anti humor. That's, that's what I'm a big fan of. Like um, sort of like comedians like Emo Phillips and like and um, uh, Lee Mack. Mm. Not Lee Mack. Sorry, Tim Vine. Mm. I don't like Lee Mack. I don't know why I mentioned Lee Mack. Um, Tim Vine. Tim Vine. Yeah, Tim Vine's great. Maybe yeah, I, they're the same person from a different angle. I don't know. They have a kind of similar face. Do they? Not sure. But I know. I, sure. Now I've been kind of uh, digesting the Tim Vine uh, chat show on Audible uh, this last week. I had uh, no idea that existed, and uh, now I need to find it. Basically, basically, it's BBC. It was a BBC radio show. He went to like different village halls and stuff like that. And basically, it's half stand-up gig, and he interviews random members of the public in the audience, and he has no idea who they are until they come up on the stage. <laughs> That sounds brilliant. <laughs> so, so it's kind of like there's some very interesting conversations, and they also play like little games, like in Terror Gate. Who, where is Terry hiding behind these gates? <laughs> is it Gate One? <laughs> is it Gate Two? <laughs> oh, or is it ga- or is it Gate Three? <laughs> Hello, Terry. <laughs> this this sounds amazing. This sounds right up my street. Uh, yes. we, we were just talking before we, we started recording, like because um, some some comedies that I, I I love weird culty comedy, and mm. we'll probably talk more about this when we discuss Ewart Vision, obviously. Mm. Um, but you, you you seem to I can watch things like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, and just I'm in sync. You seem mm. to be you need to be in the right frame of mind. Yeah, for those kind I need of things. I need to kind of be I kind of need to be. I don't know. It's kind of like I need to feel like I'm I'm able to engage. And sometimes when I have comedies on Netflix or something like that, it's not necessarily I'm fully engaged. I'm kind of using it as like background noise or something like that. Mm. If that makes sense. No, no, it makes complete sense. Have you ever? Um, I'm currently um, I'm nearly um, finished with the first season of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Mm. Uh, watching the Blu-ray remasters from Network. Very good. They look they look stunning. Mm. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of it which is definitely I I, I now realise that. The best way to introduce Monty Python is um is through the movies, not the TV series, because yeah. it's very um uh well hmm, 
avant-garde I, is I've, probably the best way to describe it. I think it. I found myself, I think in a, earlier in the year, I think I found myself watching more of season two and three of Monty Python than the first or the last series, because the last series is when Cleese had finished and moved yeah, over there's to only, 40 there's Towers. there's only a few episodes anyway. I'm under the impression it's just kind of a bit of an odd coda. Yeah, it was a very, yeah, I remember watching those episodes and kind of like, I'm, I'm a big John Cleese fan, so I wanted to see John Cleese. I was like, where's John Cleese? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love John Cleese as well. Mm. It did me laugh. We, we watched the sketch where um, it's the one where the uh, senior Nazis are um, trying to take over Somerset. Oh, and, yes. Um, yeah, so it made me laugh because John Cleese plays Hitler. And I just know there was a conversation about who plays who, and they, all of them immediately went, John, you're Hitler. It just feels like it's the right, it's the right call. But Michael Palin, who is, of course, famously, notoriously the nicest human being that's ever lived, mm. plays Himmler. <laughs> and I could just imagine he was kid. They, they just went, you're going to play Himmler because that's funny to us. Mm. It's like, uh, um, yeah. No, no, I remember some of my favourite sketches, like the the let's have an argument. <laughs> <laughs> well, like- my my favourite one I've watched so far, my favourite sketch is um, the funniest joke in the world, which is in the first episode. Mm. But because they translate it for German, so I need to, I need to get I need to get find a German speaking friend and just tell them to translate the funniest joke in the world for me and hope I don't die of a heart attack. <laughs> There was um took it to John Cleese. Have you, have you seen? You must have watched A Fish Called Wanda. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I love that film. I rewatched it recently. It's 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 genuinely brilliant. I mean, jo- John Cleese, he, he's very endearing in that film, even though he is quite pathetic. Mm. I mean, like you, I, I'm not entirely sure why I'm rooting for him. <laughs> or is it if you've got Kevin Klein in an Oscar-winning performance as like douchebag partner oh, in crime? Such an asshole. It's brilliant. And then you've got Michael Paling <laughs> as like the mo- the world's most misfortunate assassin or would-be assassin. Animal every, lover slash assassin. assassin. Yes. Because every time he tries to do something criminal, he ends up hurting an animal. <laughs> uh, J- Jamie Lee Curtis is brilliant. She mm. really, I think she's the glue that brings everyone together in that film. Mm. I, do um, need, I do need to watch that film again. I haven't seen it well. Um, Fierce Creatures is also pretty good. I was, was going to say with... Um, uh, my point of what was my? I've completely lost my train of thought. But basically, John Cleese, yay. Which um, Clockwise is a, is a follow up, similar follow up movie as well. It was, it was okay. Anyway, all comedy and jokes aside, how has your cinematic week been? Yeah, so I've, I've watched quite a few movies actually. Um, I uh, my partner realised that neither of us have ever watched a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Ah. Um, so we've just we've just basically grabbed his filmography. I think I've borrowed um, "There Will Be Blood" from you, you which did. made me laugh. The, the Blu-ray has a little sticker saying "Works on the PS3." It's almost like it was a first edition Blu-ray back when the format just launched. How is Blu-ray fifteen years old? That doesn't make sense to me. Yes, so um, I've grabbed that. We watched "Hard Eight, his um, directorial debut. Oh, okay, um, starring um, Philip Baker Hall gives mm. a very very memorable performance but um the thing i was most taken away by it was i i, I don't recall seeing john c Riley in this kind of performance before he was very young in it yeah john c Riley, i think up until talladega nights had sort of built a very credible cv of being a reliable supporting character actor because he appears in mm. in other films like magnolia and uh chicago as well i think he was oscar nominated for chicago he's very good in chicago um, he sings um but, uh, cellophane which is but, one of my favorite moments but yeah, the moment he sort of went to Talladega Nights, it was kind of like, oh, he's also a comedy actor. And that's where I think a lot of more comedy-based roles for him have kind of lined up. He can still do he can still do serious roles as well. It's just, I oh. think, once Talladega Nights worked so well with him and Ferrell, 
Thing well, I was, was, was going to say that the film I, the first film I watched with uh, John C. Reilly was Step Brothers, which I think yeah. is is amazing. <laughs> it's a brilliant movie. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, the the, the, the the last act is beyond stupid. But I still love it to pits. It's the Stop. Catalina wine mixer. Yes, <laughs> with Adam Scott being the douche. Um, he's a half. He's another brother, isn't he? Yeah, he, yeah. He's one of. He's. I think he's Will Ferrell's brother in the film. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's a stepbrother as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's a, he's a titular, titular character. I don't never never realised that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, but, uh, no, um, no. The finale for Step Brothers is just something else entirely. <laughs> I can I, I can I start talking about Hard Eight. It's quite it's quite serious, um, like crime drama, and we immediately start talking about Step Brothers within a span of ten seconds. <laughs> because we went through the path of John C. Riley. Yeah, I, I, I'm aware of the path. It's more of a reflection of where our minds go. But um, if you haven't seen Hard Eight, it's, actually, it's, it's currently on um, Amazon Prime if you have a Stars membership. Okay, is, oh, Stars I, I Play. It's the Stars yeah, Play Stars channel. Play. I don't quite understand. You have, to get, you have to get a subscription within your subscription, which yeah. kind of annoys me that exists. But they do have a seven-day trial, which you can do. Well, so if you just wanted to try it for, for one or two things, do it and then just cancel it afterwards. It's... It's fine. Mm, that's probably a good idea. But hard, yeah, hard eight was really just. I can't recall seeing a film like this. It was very distinctive, and um, it, it, I wasn't sure if I was engaging with the movie. But it was one of those films where you know the next day, or you st- you're still in your mind. You sort of like everything's racing. Yeah. So every scene's going through, and I've, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman has a, a a thirty second cameo in it, and he completely steals the like the film. Mm. Uh, by being the most obnoxious gambler you've ever seen in your life. I think there's, every second he's on screen, you just want to smack him so hard. <laughs> but um, aside from that, I, um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to jump into his, um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's um, wider filmography as well. I'm really looking forward to There Will Be Blood. And I've, I've heard Phantom Fred is particularly good as well. I haven't seen Phantom Fred yet. Um, I, I, I love There Will Be Blood. That's why I have it as a Blu-ray. Um, there's some other films of his I haven't properly seen. I haven't properly seen Punch Drug Love. Uh, no, I've never seen it as well. Well, of course, I haven't seen any of his films apart from Hard Eight. Yeah, um, I saw The Master in 70 mil at the cinema, which, oh, was, cool. which was quite, quite striking. It's yeah, so, Phoenix, isn't it? Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, I, uh, yeah. I presume um, Hoffman was a regular collaborator with him then. I believe so, yes. yes. Um, other, other films I watched... Um, some pretty good films, actually. I watched Green Room, the 2015 uh, thriller from um, Jeremy Solner. Oh, that's um, that's the late Alt- Anton Yelchin, isn't it? Yeah, Alton Yelchin. He's very good in it, um, and it was it's it's, it's devastating to be reminded that he, he was he's taken so young. He was only 27 when he died in that mm. freak accident. Yeah, and it's a shame because he had already, if, I mean, including Green Room, he'd already established a great body of work. Mm. And then, like, uh, who knows what what things he would have gone on to do? Like, if he if he'd survived, I mean, it's a terrible, terrible accident. Mm. Um, but he he's very good in this. Are you familiar with the the plot of the film at all? Um, it's kind of like a survival film because mm. it's like a group of people get kind of beset by kind of neo Nazi. Yes, so that they they are the the main characters are a punk band. They're not they're not right wing at all. Mm. The, the the more liberal side of punk, um, but they they take a gig. At this middle of nowhere white supremacist um, sh- like club, okay. because they need the money, <laughs> and because um, 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 Anton Yelchin's character he's um, Jewish, so they, they, <laughs> that's a tad awkward. 
Um, but they, they, um, I won't, I won't go into it because I think it's one of these films that work. It's more effective if you go into it blind. Um, mm. Something happens and a terrible hostage situation ensues, and it's not an easy ride. If you're, if you're squeamish, avoid. Um, there's some very, uh, only small moments, but very graphic details, and it, uh, it, I, my partner had to turn away a few times. But it's, it's very good. It's one of the most compelling movies I've watched in quite a while. Um, Patrick Stewart plays the main antagonist, and I, I can't recall seeing him in a villainous role. I mean, I'm a huge Next Generation fan, so it was very uncomfortable watching Patrick Stewart. Very underrated performance as a sort of, um, I don't know what the term would be, but like the, the senior officer mm. in this, the skinhead organization. He's um he um he has this kind of like subtle southern drawl, and he he only he he only uses inflammatory language once. Mm. He's he's very sort of quiet and Machiavellian, and he's just genuinely. I find his performance more terrifying than the, the sort of like the more overt neo Nazis. Um, in order to cleanse, I, I would really recommend that. But in order to cleanse myself of watching Patrick Stewart being such a bastard, I had to watch Star Trek: First Contact. Oh. And, that, is, and I like and I like First Contact. I think First Contact is probably my favourite of the Star Trek movies. I, I agree, and um, it's, it's interesting because Michaela, she's not a big Trekkie, and she really took to it. I, I think First Contract, First Contract, First Contact is probably is probably it's the most accessible Star Trek movie. I think I generally think it's one of the best science fiction movies ever made, regardless of the fact that it's a Star Trek movie. Mm. It just also happens to be an exceptional Star Trek movie. I, I, I think it's. I think it's better than Wrath of Khan, and I think it's better than um, the J.J. Abrams reboot. Okay. Uh, but they're, they're both my favourite. It's interesting that there are two time-travelling Star Trek... No, no, there's three now. Damn it. <laughs> well, in the original <laughs> ten movies, there are te- there are two time-travelling Star Trek movies. There's Voyage Home, which is... Let's have a jolly... Let's have a jolly fish out of water... <laughs> No pun intended. A uh, film about finding a well and <laughs> and um you and um hunting those nuclear missiles, um and then the, the next generation time travel, which is basically everyone dies. It's like um yeah, it's a ten year shift between those two movies. It tells you sort of like uh, <laughs> mm. um but yeah, first cho- I I I love first contract. Uh, I keep calling it first contract. I John Luke John Luke Picard signing his first mobile phone contract. <laughs> I, I'm amazed there hasn't been a tie-in called First Contract. <laughs> like w- w- mobile phones, they were, they were they were coming into prominence in the mid '90s, right? Uh, yeah, they were they were still like the standard Nokia phones with snake on it, I suppose. It, it, was, it was basically bricks, and then the Matrix came out, and then it was all the flips. <laughs> it's the <laughs> only thing that dates the Matrix is the flip phones. <laughs> and um, another film I watched. Um, Similar vein in terms of like assimilating alien invasion. Uh, we watched the original 1956 um, invasion of the Body Snatchers. Ah, oh, okay. Uh, so directed by Don Segal, is probably more more well known for his work with Clint Eastwood, including um, Escape from Alcatraz and um, uh, Dirty Harry, which is obviously one of the most iconic movies of all time. Um, it was it was good fun. I mean, it was it's definitely tapping into the sort of red scare of the time. You know, you can you can replace the alien doppelgangers the, or pod people as they became known with you know communists those evil commies um but um yeah it, it was it was very good it's, it's definitely the high end of the b movie sort of 50s b movie trend i've been told the 70s remake is very good as well but i've never watched it that's the one of donald Sutherland, isn't it yes 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 it is the, the only problem i had with the uh, spoilers the, the the end of uh, the original body snatchers 
it's a, it's a happy ending ish. There's like a, uh, there's a glimmer of hope, which okay. apparently which apparently the studio insisted uh, they insert in order to sort of like because they didn't want to demoralise audiences. Um, well, I think the film would have worked a lot better if um, it was a really, um, you know, um, everything is awful and you're all going to die. That's 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 my kind of science fiction, obviously. Oh dear. Except for First Contact or Contract, I can't remember what it's called now. I just, I just, I just imagine Picard at the, at the mobile phone store and saying, <laughs> saying, "Now I get, I get, I get free a hundred minutes a month." Yes. Can I, can I? Sorry to interject, Mr. Bolton. Was that your Patrick? Sorry, was that your Sir Patrick Stewart impersonation? So you're saying I get a hundred free minutes a month? I know this is a ship impersonation, <laughs> but I'm trying to create an illusion. <laughs> it was a little bit more Brian Blessed than anything, mate. And I get four. I get four gigabytes of data for my friends and family. Yes, of course, Mister Picard. Or not, should I say? Captain Picard. Now, if you could sign here and here and date, and here is your free toaster. Did you know I'm the captain of the Enterprise EE? That was that was good. That was that was a good pun. Uh, EE yeah. e is a <laughs> oh, phone brand. God. You've just got it. You've just got it. He was the commander of Enterprise D and E. Uh, yeah. Tim Vine would be proud. He would be very proud, uh, yeah. unless he's not a Trekkie. I don't know. <laughs> Like, what what cinematic adventures have you had? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've been getting through my Alfred Hitchcock box set. Ooh. So I've been kind of taking some time on afternoons just to watch a Hitchcock film now and then. It started last week. I watched uh, Rope. With I um, really took I took to Rope. Rope. I found it quite funny. I laughed all the way through. Rope is uh, for the listeners at home. Rope is it's based on a nineteen twenties nineteen thirties play. Hmm. Uh, it's about uh, two. Uh, upper class uh, individuals in New York who commit a murder. They kill one of their former classmates, but then decide to have a dinner party to kind of celebrate this fact and invite all the kind of connected relatives to the person. <laughs> uh, but then as uh, one of their guests, their former teacher who's taught them about the, about the ideas of the superior, the superior intellect, that sort of thing. Um, what we'd call psychopathy. Yeah. Um, the teacher arri- teacher starts piecing together that something isn't quite right about this party. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, it is. I I think it's it's very, I think it's a very darkly comic film, but then it's yeah. also, but then it's also, it's quite, there's a lot of good tension building. And, the, and Hitchcock mm. films it, uh, Hitchcock filmed it as, an intended one-take film, but obviously the technology few, of the time... There's a few tricks, isn't there? It's yeah, sort of like, technology of the time, he could only kind of film like 10, 15-minute chunks before they had to change the film reel. So they are they could always do like a sweep behind a car- someone's back or they just zoom into something to make it black for a moment and then they zoom right back out to kind of carry on the illusion. But no, it's like the, the camera... It rarely does the camera cut to like a separate take or, or actual different shot until I think towards the end when uh, James Stewart starts kind of properly unraveling uh, the whole thing. But I ju- it's just the sheer, it's, uh, I think the, the things that kind of stick out to me is the sheer audacity of these two, these two uh, criminals. <laughs> They're kind of, oh, that killing that person was absolutely wonderful. It was, <laughs> it was liberating. It was freeing. And you know what's going to be even better? When we serve dinner off his corpse and this box and no one will be none the wiser it's brilliant i tell you brilliant <laughs> see it, it, it's interesting because that film you want them to get caught yeah because they're, they're arrogant and they're cute yeah. it's like um but with um uh have you i don't know if it's part of the same set you're watching have you ever seen dial m for murder 
it's not part of that set. I do need to buy it, and I will be get. I'll be trying to get that next week when I'm. Paid. Cool. Let, let me know what you think because I, every time I watch Darlem for Murder, I think it's, that's probably that and North by Northwest are my favourite Hitchcocks. Mm. Um, every time I watch it, I, I want them to get away with the murder. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why because it's, so, it's, it's it's interesting how you like. But yeah, we're just, you just want them to get their comeuppance. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Especially uh, John Dahl, who plays uh, I think it's Brandon, who's the Who's the who's the one who's always so cool and just trying to just derail everything in a way because he's kind of like oh yes I've killed my classmate but I now need to ruin his my classmate's uh, my deceased classmate's relationship with the woman that he loves and uh, be very mean to his parents as well. <laughs> it's just it's just it, it, it just it, throw throw a dog a bone give yeah. him a break he's dead. Yeah, it's just when James Stewart <laughs> just goes I think your boys have done something. Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> but um Merry Christmas. Merry oh, so Christmas. It's a different fit. Wrong uh, film. Yes, it's not wonderful life just yet. Um <laughs> No, it's a wonderful death by the sounds of it. Uh, uh, other films I watched I watched uh, Saboteur as well, which oh. was which is one of his uh, earliest ones. Uh, it's about um uh, an air, I think it's an airplane factory worker going on the run after a terrible fire it sort of burns his um burns the factory down and he's sort of implicated as the as the prime suspect. And it's kinda of like a big kind of conspiracy theory kind of conspiracy world because the more he sort of tries to find the truth it's like oh it's like a sinister group of people trying to do things because america needs it to happen in that sort of way but it um it concludes with the uh with the famous sort of fight on the top of the statue of liberty oh yes yeah or it's kind of like the scuffle the scuffle the scuffle the scuffle um and then the last one i've watched recently is uh rear window I love Rear Window. Which is which is kind of like it's it's just a very engaging kind of murder mystery kind of thing, and it's yeah it's been parodied to kind of death with things like The Simpsons in a way. Yes. Um, so oh, that co- that Bart episode is great. It's like yeah. one of Flanders is the um, supposed murder, isn't it? Yeah. Murderer. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of builds up and kind of like oh is it's like is is the neighbour a murderer or is he not? It's kind of the the cogs sort of slowly start twisting and turning and i think towards it's like towards the end it's like when everything really when shit does go down and all that sort of stuff it's kind of like it's still it's still quite thrilling because it, it's just oh oh james get out of the apartment james it's <laughs> <laughs> like oh there's something wrong with my neighbor across the street i've got my camera i've got my camera could you sign I, I, my I, I must, I must say, your Patrick Stewart impersonation is terrible. Your Jimmy Stewart's great. So you got one Stewart down. Ah, <laughs> oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, Hitch, Hitch, I'm scared. Why is this person trying to kill me? Oh. I don't know. I'm Patrick Stewart, and I'm going to talk to um, you. But is, no, it, is what, my Patrick Stewart good? It's a, it sounds okay. Mm. It sounds okay. But number no, one, engage. Number one, make it so. Make go. it so. Make it so. Um, but no, it's like I, I want to revisit some of the Cary Grant Hitchcocks because mm. I, I absolutely adore North by Northwest. I really yes. do. Um, that's that's, that's definitely, I think that's the most outstanding Hitchcock and, film. And um, and also some of uh, Cary Grant's sort of back catalogue, like His Girl Friday and stuff like that. And it's like, I've just, I've just been sort of fascinated with Cary Grant acting rather than kind of kind of other things because I've been watching kind of like uh, Aston McGowan impersonations and stuff like that and even like doing the whole talk like Audrey we're trying to run a good burger van here <laughs> but we can't let James Stewart across the street take our customers we need a new team machine and we need one now <laughs> 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 and I and it's like for most of the week I've just been kind of 
making random statements in Cary Grant voice. <laughs> and the only way I can get it to work first time is I've got to start it with the word Audrey. It's like, Audrey. <laughs> Audrey. Well, I well need- when I introduce you to my nan, who is also called Audrey at my wedding, I want you to talk to her exclusively in that way. Audrey, this is quite a wedding that we're at. This Christian Allen chap, he's very dapper, isn't he? You know, my nan would generally talk to me like a few weeks later. Goes, I didn't know you had an American friend. <laughs> well, he's he's in, he's he's also English. He was born in Bristol. Like, is he? Yeah, Kerry Grant was born in really? Bristol. Really? Yeah. I had yeah, no idea. I just assumed he was American. No, he he's English, but he, but his accents managed to sort of twang the sort of divide of sometimes English, sometimes sometimes um, American. Because I just assumed, I always assumed, because obviously at that time, the golden age, you, you, a lot of, especially the um, lead ladies, they tend mm. to have um, more of an English twang in their accent. I just assumed that was the um, uh, elocution lessons they were having. Very much similar to um, Singing in the Rain, that kind of. Uh, oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yes, yeah, so apologies if I start going off into Cary Grant mode at times now. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yes, yeah, so I've got a couple more Hitchcock films to watch this week. Um, I've also what, what's your next what's your next few Hitchcocks? Um, I think I've got I think I've got the Man Who Knew Too Much, which again is another James Stewart one because it's mm. like he had a big block of films where he was working with James Stewart. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't personally take to that one. But, um, um, I'm interested to see what you think. I've already seen Vertigo. I probably will revisit Vertigo, um, and then there's North by Northwest. I want to revisit. Um, I think it's Suspicion, which is uh, the other Cary Grant one that he has done, um, which I think had a Criterion edition in America, but I think it has a uh, like a special HMV edition over here, which is a bit weird. But anyway, mm. um, and then yeah, I do. I I just kind of want to beef up my Hitchcock collection quite a bit because I just I just the thing I always enjoy with these films is watching and you see sort of like pretty standard filmmaking techniques that you see today but then you kind of they weren't kind of, standard were they but they weren't they weren't standard when Hitchcock was doing it so it's kind of like it's like the whole sort. it's like the whole thing like rope it's kind of like I can't remember I think the only other film that I remember that had like continuous one shot but there was only for an opening sequence is a Touch of Evil which is awesome yes worse. that's very good I mean it's, it's done it's been done a few times um, Birdman is a recent yeah, yeah. example but I mean, then, obviously there's an element of trickery throughout yeah whereas I think with with rope, they don't necessarily hide it. Or yeah. basically, it's kind of, it's very evident. Um, and I, well, I it's, part of, it's part of the storytelling in itself. Yeah, and I think the one thing I watched, I watched the sort of making of uh, rope uh, after the film, and they had um, one of the writers, or, or they had archive footage of one of the writers kind of frowning at the fact that, oh, it's like, oh, we've we revealed that they've they've killed someone. It's already, it's like, there's no, there's no suspense. It's like, no, there is suspense. There's suspense of how are they going to get caught and watching it slowly unravel completely. So it's like trying to hide the murder weapon, trying to kind of cover up where the body is, trying to stop people trying to find where the body is and all that. So that's where the suspense is like. There's a, there's a great sort of shot where the maid is starting to clear the table and starting to bring items back, which she's going to put in the cupboard or the, the, the closet, no, uh, the box, sorry, the box. And, mm. um, and it's like the moment you, you see it reach of it, is she going to see the body? But then it's like one of the kids just swoops in and goes, oh, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. You, you, you carry on cleaning up. You carry on cleaning up. There's nobody here. Nobody here at all. No, there's nobody. Nobody. I'm just thinking <laughs> of Clue now, which I do have now on Blu-ray, which I do need to watch. Oh, I need to show you because I don't think you've ever watched Clue. No, no, because apparently there's, there's multiple endings. And yeah, does, yeah. We does, do, does, yeah. The DVD, does the DVD have a shuffle? Uh, the Blu-ray has the option to, you can have an ending picked at random or you can watch the whole 
three endings. I kind of like watching the whole three endings because it's kind of like the way you think, oh, the film's ended. It's like, well, that's one way it could have happened. How about this ending? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay, you thought that was outlandish. Here's the third ending. <laughs> what I'd probably do is I'll, have, I'll play it on shuffle. Mm. And then like I, next, I, I won't tell Midge. And the next time we watch it a few years later, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure it's the, I'll, an alternative ending and just, just see how the people. Because <laughs> audiences didn't know, did they? When it was screwed, because it was yeah. sent out randomly to different yeah. studio, um, different cinemas. Yeah. So I think that was courage and rewatchability in a sense. Um, but out of the endings, I'm not going to, I won't explain the endings, but I think the, uh, the third ending, if you watch them all in one go, I think the final ending is the version I kind of prefer because it's just so brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. And when you kind of and when you kind of rewatch it with that end in mind, you kind of go, "Oh yeah, that's that's quite plausible now." All that sort of stuff. But anyway, um, and last thing on my films that I've watched um, uh, last night, watched all the money in the world, which oh, is okay. which is the Ridley Scott uh, John Paul Getty film. Um, it's the film that uh, notoriously decided to reshoot all of Kevin Spacey's uh, scenes <laughs> mere weeks before race. And yeah, you, you ballsy. Could, you could, you could. I think apart from one or two scenes where it's quite a bit because we watched it on a on a four K um, digital stream. Um, apart from one or two scenes where it's quite clearly they just digitally plastered Christopher Plummer in place of Kevin Spacey, um, you could hardly tell that was that was quickly arranged in the background, like Amazing. Mere, mere weeks. And Christopher Plummer got an Oscar nomination out of it as well. And um, yeah, I think the film in general is pretty good. I mean, it's more. I think. Me and my family it's were more... It's based on a true story, isn't it? It's inspired by a true story. So, inspired. Because um, it's about uh, Getty's grandson being captured or being kidnapped. I say captured, kidnapped. And, uh, and Getty refusing to pay the ransom. And it becomes more of like a, a battle of the minds between Getty and his grandson's mother, who has her own sort of issues with, with the billionaire. Um, but you also see uh, things from the from the son from the son's kidnapped perspective, uh, his kidnappers as well. Um, it's a re- it's a really sort of decent dramatization. Um, I think we I think my family were more inclined to kind of watch or not watch read up more about the people involved after the film. So it's like we hmm. spent a good we spent a good ten fifteen minutes on like our phones, kind of like going through the Wikipedia pages, <laughs> kind of going, oh, so that's what happened to him at the end. Fair enough. And all that, and all that sort of stuff. But um, no, I mean, it's it's definitely worth a watch. It's a really, it's a it's a it's a good Ridley Scott film. I mean, sometimes Ridley Scott films, they vary from really really good to kind of all right, eh, yeah, to kind of eh. no, no. This is this is more towards the really really good side of things. So um, if you have the time to check it out, all the money in the world is a good thing. Right. So before we move on to reviews, I would like to just quickly check if Tenant is delayed. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it has been pushed back to August fourteenth. <laughs> Is this going to be a recurring jingle, Mister Bolton? If it keeps getting delayed, maybe. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be hearing that a lot, aren't I? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I came up with this little jingle simply because Chris Nolan's Tenant, which is supposed to be coming out on July thirty first, has been pushed back to August 12th, which is a Wednesday instead of a Friday. Um, and basically, uh, Warner Brothers said in a statement that they are committed to bringing tenant to audiences in theatres on the big screen when exhibitors are ready and public health officials say it's time. In this moment, we need to be flexible and we need not to be treating this as a traditional movie release. And considering it is a huge 
but it's a huge studio move from Warner Brothers. Uh, you can still understand it, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like, I don't want to, hopefully we're not going to approach August 12th and have uh, Tenant delayed again even further. I mean, uh, Forbes made a very good case for it to be delayed till 2021. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 patient. Yeah. I think a film like this, which we've said many times, it's a big draw. It's a cinematic spectacle. I want as many people as possible to see this film because I like the fact that Nolan produces films of such scale. However, mm. if they don't make the money, Warner Brothers aren't going to let him make his films. This and it's true. interesting how Nolan has fallen into sort of like. A, a similar position as Stanley Kubrick did with Warner Brothers. He seems to be the the one filmmaker that just has a sort of a free check to just make whatever he wants. Mm. I don't know if he, I don't know if he just. I mean, he just he earned he earned that right through the success, obviously, of the Dark Knight trilogy. Oh yeah, and and his other original works like Prestige, Inception. Inception was it's ten years old, but it's crazy. Mm. Um, but yeah, that that film really really took off, didn't it? Mm, it did. It certainly did. I think it got a few Oscar nominations as well. Yeah, I think it was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. I, I mean, think I, so, yes. No, I always get the impression, I know we have little rants about the Oscars, but I, I get the impression Nolan is never going to actually win one. It will be given a Lifetime Achievement Award in like 40 years' time. It's kind of like the, the modern version of, of Alfred Hitchcock. Or, or Kubrick. Yeah. Hitch, yes. Hitchcock, Hitchcock famously, <laughs> um, when, he, when he was given his special award, um, he, he just got up on stage, and went "thank you," and walked off. Like yeah. <laughs> that's cold. <laughs> I mean, Rebecca did win Best Picture, but obviously, that was the it was the producers who pick up the award. As always, do let us know your thoughts on uh, on things that we discuss in our little opening opening little cinematic chat. Filmraw at bunkzilla.co.uk is the place to email those thoughts too. Right, let's have a film review and let's go back to the Bridge of Spies. Here's a clip. Something important has come up. We've got a Soviet spy. But there's a wrinkle. They got our spy pilot. Or the head full of classified information. The Russians want their man back before he cracks. We want you to negotiate the swap. I'm an insurance lawyer. I'm not sure I want to pick that up. Are you good at what you do? This will be a first for the both of us. You should be careful. I'm talking to you about the security of your country. Why aren't we hanging him? He's a spy! You're asking me to violate the Constitution. Do you know how people will look at us? The family of a man trying to free a traitor? Everyone deserves a defense. Every person matters. Right, so Bridge of Spies, 2015 film by Steven Spielberg. And it tells uh, the tale during the Cold War of an American lawyer, played by Tom Hanks, uh, recruited to defend an arrested Soviet spy, played by the Oscar-winning Mark Rylance in this film, and then helped the CIA facilitate an exchange of said spy for a captured American spy plane pilot. Ooh. So, yeah, this, this film came out in 2015. Um, I didn't see it at the cinema. I've, I've only seen it on like home releases and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I think if anything, I think it's more more noticeable for the for the one Oscar win that it got for Mark Rylance in yes. in this film. And it's not often a, a Tom Hanks movie where another actor sort of steals the show, is it? 
Yeah, there, there is there is that. Yeah, because Mark Rylands is is very likable. I am. Um, I think I, I joked to you over over Messenger the other day that it kind of it, it's the stars of the Spielberg cast in Mark Rylands in everything because then he went on to appear in uh, BFG. He got one of the yep. main lead roles in that. Ready Player One. Um, so uh, they, um, those, this is my favorite trilogy. This is the first. This is the first film in the uh, Mark Rylands cinematic universe. <laughs> Uh, but um, but no, um, no, Bridge of Spies is, is is a very decent film. I think it's nicely paced. I think it's well acted. Um, it's a really good. It's a, a solid script as well for Spielberg to work with. Um, with uh, Charman and even the uh, Coen Brothers uh, contributing to the script as well. Yeah. Um, I think my main my main I wouldn't say beef with Bridge of Spies. I think my main observation with Bridge of Spies is. It feels like this is a period where Steven Spielberg is on autopilot, and this is coming off films like Lincoln, Warhorse. They all have the same aesthetic. They all have majority of the same components. It's just some elements are unique to others, and they elevate the film beyond what it generally is. So it's like Lincoln. Lincoln is pretty much nothing without Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm. It's it's the only thing everyone could talk about when Lincoln came out. It wasn't oh, it hasn't Spielberg directed an amazing film? It's like no. Daniel, this is the Daniel Day-Lewis show. Get on the train, give him his third Oscar, and off he goes. <laughs> um, and it's just, the way I look at it, is Spielberg was, it was a filmmaker name that would, would excite you when you see a film with his name on it. But I don't think he has that same effect in today's standards. I don't get, I don't get excited by seeing the words a Spielberg film anymore because it's no. kind of like, it's kind of like you're either getting a prestige film, which is, again... The same aesthetic, the same components, just with some little elements. It's like he did the post with Tom Hanks and Mel Streep earlier in uh, 2019. And again, that's, that's screaming prestige film, again. But then again, it's like, even even going back to blockbusters, even like Ready Player One or BFG, the, the, the blockbuster returns either don't end financially well or critically well. It's like they just don't... They come across just, a bit flat, don't they? Yeah, they don't ring, they don't ring as... They don't... Have, feel like they have the same success as, say, Jurassic Park or as Jaws or something like that. It's kind of, it's 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 kind of. He still makes great. He still makes good movies. Don't get me wrong. He still makes good movies. But I feel we are past peak Spielberg. No, I I, I completely agree with you. I mean, the, the, to describe this period in his in his filmography would be safe. That's the word I would use. Absolutely. Um, and that's not necessarily a criticism of the movies themselves because i mean post 90s i mean we were talking similarly we had a similar conversation about this last week we were talking about jaws but um he he has produced some fine exciting movies from 2000 onwards um so they're they're just less um they're less exciting and i i completely agree i i no longer feel um as though the spielberg name on a film poster has the same draw um Mm. which is Maybe maybe a sad thing. Maybe I mean he's he's definitely he's definitely past his peak, which was obviously mm. late seventies and eighties, and um and in, you know, and obviously early nineties were very successful for him, obviously. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's a fair observation, and I think it's 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 right to discuss in terms of this film specifically. I I would say this is probably my favorite Spielberg movie made post Minority Report. Um, okay. Um, I really, really, I really took to the BFG. I thought that, but that may have been more to do with the special effects 
and the, the the you know the original story, the the the, the Rod Dole element, as opposed to what Spielberg brought to the role. Yeah. Um, and again, Mark Rylance, I thought he was he was great as the big friendly giant. Um, I I really enjoyed the adventures of Tintin, but I get, I think that might have more to do again with the with the visual spectacle and the story mm. as opposed to what Spielberg himself brought to the table. Mm. Um, it, it's it's it feels slightly disingenuous criticizing Spielberg in such a way because regardless of your take on a, on a recent Spielberg movie, like, I, I really didn't like Ready Player One. Really didn't like it. I thought the story was abysmal. And it, it, it's, it was obvious to me that Spielberg doesn't get video games. He, he gets film, and that's why the Shining sequence worked so well, but he yeah. doesn't get video games, and that's why the rest of the movie sort of fell flat for me. Is that despite that, he is still Stephen Bloody Spielberg. Absolutely. And he's he the most technically proficient master in, in his field. I mean, like, he is the most successful filmmaker of all time. It's just going by numbers. Uh, which will annoy a few people, but it's, it's a good, <laughs> what other metrics can we use? He is, uh, um, but yeah, I, I would say Bridge of Spies is, is his most compelling prestige movie, I feel, as a, as a total sum. With, with films you've mentioned, like Lincoln, that is, that is a Daniel Day Lewis movie, mm. uh, not, not a Spielberg movie. This feels more like a Spielberg movie to me. And, okay. um, I, I, uh, I, I love this period of history. I, I find the Cold War fascinating. In, in particular, I find Germany during the Cold War fascinating. Just the idea a, a country being divided by two is so strange to any to people our age could grow up after you know after the Berlin Wall came down. But to people older than us, the idea of Germany being united was completely impossible. In fact, there are many journalists who talk about this who are covering the fall of the Berlin Wall. They, they, they say that because it happened so quickly. That if, if you were to ask them the day beforehand if, if the Soviet Union would ever collapse, they'd laugh at you. They they, they thought this was going to be here forever. Mm. And so um and, and so what I love about Bridge of Spies is the fact that we get a glimpse of this world. I mean it's it's not as serious as this, but I, I really I really took to um Guy Ritchie's Men from Uncle. In oh, the yeah, because they, yeah, yeah. they also have a sequence with the Berlin Wall, don't they? Yeah, it's very good. I mean obviously that that was for laughs. Here the the true horrors of the wall is to, is to, um is portrayed. I found those scenes particularly effective. Um, they, um, obviously, for what Spielberg learned in like producing up um, Schindler's List, sort of taking some of those lessons here, and um, the um, the execution scene where the um, the Eastern Germans trying to break through the wall as the train is passing, and you just see yeah. Tom Hanks being framed through Tom Hanks' perspective is very good because mm-hmm. you 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 feel you're along with his journey. And that was that was the right call because you, you kind of you want this strange Soviet world to be alien because it is. Mm. Um, e- even even if you're East German today, it's probably so strange to look back on this. Um, I mean, even I think even in the in the first half of the movie, where the where Tom Hanks takes on the or well, basically he's been saddled with the with yes, the job the word, yes. saddled with the job of defending Rylance but then the, the more he gets on task in American history yeah but the more he kind of the more he kind of works on the case the more he kind of goes well we need to we obviously if we're trying to show America as being the fair and impartial environment then we need to try and give this man a fair trial and be unfair about it but everything around him everything around him played on that sort of communism uh, paranoia the red scare yes the red yeah the red scare because there are elements where there's the awkward scene on the train where everyone's reading the paper and they (laughs) all stare at him such a great scene and it's kind of like 
oh, you, you might want to get off this train, Tom. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> even, even, even the judge in the original trial has already decided, well, he's going to be guilty. We're going to, mm. it's like, he's going to be guilty. And as soon as, as soon as he's guilty, then I'm just going to go, yeah, guilty, death, whatever, that sort of stuff. And again, it's kind of like, even when they managed to convince that said judge to kind of spare the death penalty in that sort of sense, America, they have a, they have a viewing gallery of, of citizens wanting, wanting um, Rylance's spy head on, head on a silver platter. And the film catches that anger. I mean, yeah. it was a real, it was genuine anger at the time. I mean, like the, the hatred for Russia in the United States, I mean, to say the other side, the hatred for America and Russia was obviously true, but this is, the film is an American perspective. Um, it's, it's very, it resonates very well. And I think Spielberg does a very good job at capturing that. Um, Tom Hanks' performance is quite understated. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's Tom Hanks being Tom Hanks. He, he, he's he the nicest guy in every movie. Tom Hanks yeah. is the nicest guy in every movie. And it, and it works really well. I think Tom Hanks, it's, it, it, this isn't a criticism because what Tom Hanks does, very much like Spielberg, what Tom Hanks does is excellent, but it, it, it needs to be the right kind of character, like the right kind of movie. Yeah. And I think this was a perfect fit for him. I do like the fact that his performance is a little bit, he, 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 he's willing to, you know, step back and let, let Rylance shine because he does, Mark Rylance does a very, very good job at portraying this very quiet, complex character. He, he does, he does, a lot with little, um, with a little, mm. um, and it's a very compelling performance. You, you, you never, you never hate him as much as no, say the, no, you the don't rest of America. It's, it's kind of like he's gone. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm technically a spy, or if you want to accuse me of being a spy, that's fine. I'm. I'm not that fussed about the repercussions. I love. <laughs> I, little tip. I, I love again going for my love of Cold War history. I, I, I love the little details of like the, how he was actually. That was it. The hollow dime. Oh yeah, yeah. The hollow dime. Yeah. yeah I, I love. I love little trinkets like that. I thought that was fascinating. But um, no, it's uh, this film's strength is. It's it's the story. It's, it's, I mean, the story was compelling enough. You didn't mm. you didn't need Spielberg to give such a proficient polish to this kind of movie. But it's nice that he was the director who told the story. Yeah, because it, it's it's again it's a, it's a technically proficient movie. Performances are excellent. The script is great. Um, I I think dis- despite the type of movie being told, it is still quite a safe movie. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, it's a, it's a safe Spielberg. Um, even though it can, even today, it could be quite contentious that the fact that America is not portrayed in, in, in the best of light, which no. is, I think, quite an admirable position. That it feels like the history is as an authenticity to the history. Mm. Um, although I think Tom Hanks' character is definitely, um, he's definitely a hero, an unquestionable hero. Um, one of the, uh, yeah, it's quite like, it's another another lawyer who's a hero in cinematic history. You can join, you can join with Atticus Finch. Uh, I'm trying to think of other lawyers. There aren't that many. I mean, they're, I mean, they're, all, Lionel, they're all Lionel Hutz. Oh, not, well, the Matthew McConaughey <laughs> Lincoln lawyer. Oh, yeah, there we go. That's a trilogy um, of movies, another trilogy and, we can promote. And uh, Matthew McConaughey was the lawyer defending Samuel Jackson in A Time to Kill. The, and the lawyer, the lawyers from um, Philadelphia. Yes, yes. So, See, they're so good lawyers Dental and there. Tom, there we go. There are good lawyers out there. There are good Lots lawyers. Good. There are a lot of good lawyers in films. It's interesting. It's like um, then they're, but, bad um law- then they're bad lawyers like Jim Carrey and Liar Liar. <laughs> he is a fantastic lawyer, and the pen that he is holding in his hand is blue. Is is 
is is royal blue. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. So, I, we'll have to do a compilation episode one day of just all these movies and liar, liar. <laughs> just, <laughs> oh, Abraham Lincoln, he was a lawyer. Oh yeah, yeah. good yeah, point. Yeah. Good point. Was he? He uh, was a lawyer. He was. Yeah. But um, go back, go back to Bridge of Spies. Yeah, I, I, I really, I really like this movie. I think it's um. I can, I can see why it got the nods it did. I mean, it de- Rylance definitely had to win. I think his performance is, is it's one of the it, better understated, understated performances of, over the last couple of years. I think it was it was a toss-up between him and Stallone for Creed. Mm. So do you think Stallone would have won without? I don't, I don't know. I mean, the fact is when Stallone is doing uh, like a Rocky film and he's not technically involved behind the camera in a sense or something. I mean, I mean in the original Rocky movie he's incredible yeah. I mean like it's before I, think, I don't think people appreciate <laughs> a bit off tangent but I don't think yeah. people appreciate just how great um, uh, Stallone is in Rocky the whole movie is fantastic it's, it's not the movie people think it is because they think of Rocky 2 onwards they don't think which is, let's be honest a very different kettle of fish mm. well, I, I still think Stallone's performance in Creed was, was very very strong and again it's like he was, he's been directed by uh, Ryan Coolidge, who went hmm. on to do Black Panther and stuff like that. So he's able to get really good performances out of his actors. So being able to sort of extract an Oscar nominated performance by, from Stallone is, is something in itself. Um, but no, I, I, think in terms of, I think in terms of the awards, especially with the Academy, it, it, it's not really surprising that Rylance won. Um, no. It's safe as the safe word here. Yeah. It's... <laughs> it's um, yeah. It does feel a bit Oscar baity. Yeah, and that's why and that's why Spielberg's either a prestige Oscar person or he's a blockbuster person. Hmm. I mean, his next you, his next one coming up is West Side Story, which I, I am. I was about, I was about to say, did, did you did you want to see Spielberg start taking risks again? Because this feels like a risk. I can't. I have said I have several things with West Side Story. The first thing is, I I love the original film. I mean, we, uh, when I was doing performance studies at secondary school, West Side Story is one of the key titles that we kept looking at or kept sort of, uh, we kept sort of studying. And we, we even did a performance, we even did like a, like a winter performance of it at the, the school's annual sort of winter play, whatever, like that. And I was part of tech group. Um, so I have, a fond, I have a very good fondness for West Side Story. I think we, even, even my parents have a fondness for West Side Story, especially my, my, um, my mother. Um, and it's like, it's like, I'm intrigued by Spielberg doing West Side Story. Um, well, the, 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 it's interesting you say that because like West Side Story, I, I'm not, I'm not too keen on it. It's not my cup of tea, but I, I appreciate it. It's the musical um, it, Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? It so, basically, yeah. But yeah. my recollections of West Side Story is that it's, um, although it's very much of its time, it's also timeless, mm. which is, that's a tricky kind of movie to remake. Yeah, like um, also the the choreography is exceptional and the music is great. Mm. So like, what what what's he going to do to this? Is it just going to be a straight remake? It, how do you from, how do you do something different? But from what I've seen, it's again it, it's it's still going to be set in the same period of time. I think one or two of the character roles might change a little bit. Um, but no, it it just feels like it is going for like the high gloss remake. And pardon me. It's like, like I said, I like West Side Story. I don't necessarily see a reason to remember. If they were kind of modernizing it and it was doing the, like the modern world today, I'd go, okay, 
That's a mm. bit more of a that's a bit more of a, a curious take on it. Because the, fil- the film the film deals explicitly with um, sort of like racial tensions. Yeah, in, racial tensions, gang. Because I mean, these these are themes you could easily transpose to a modern setting in any part of America or the you know, the, the world around us. Absolutely, so, absolutely. So, you know, I, I I don't see the I don't see the purpose of it being set at the same time. It just feels like feels like a, a frame. I worry that it's going to be a frame-by-frame frame remake with just better quality camera equipment. So, yeah, the original came out in 1961. Oh. And it won 10 Oscars. It won Best Picture, did it? Yeah. So it's, al- it's already setting itself a very high bar. And I know people say, oh, just to film its own merits. It's like, well, no, West Side Story is, is like a pinnacle in Hollywood musicals. Mm. It's a pinnacle in like Oscars successes as well. So I mean, there's similar films. I mean, like that like Ben Hur was recently remade, um, <laughs> and no one well, cared. Well, no one cared, and I don't think well, it did much. No one cared because it already had a remake a few years earlier called Gladiator, which uh, <laughs> which kind uh, of came and did. That was basically Ben Hur. The remake of Ben Hur arrived when everyone had enough of Romans for a while. Yes, because <laughs> it's like we had we had like we had like the Eagle and Centurion and Gosh. the Last Legion and all that sort of stuff. And it's kind of like yeah, that's, that's great and all, but I think we, we we've done with our with our why, Roman fix. Why did that happen? That was bizarre. Do you think it was the influence the, of Rome, the HBO series? No, I, well, I, I think I think Gladiator just kind of inspired a lot of people to go. Oh, people like things about ancient Rome. Well, everyone get on the bandwagon. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, it's like the, the, the thing with me with Westside Story at the moment is I will give it a chance. Mm. I'm not holding my breath and I'm worried that it's going to be, if it doesn't, if it doesn't get it right out the gate, it's going to be another Cats. That's my concern. I mean, I don't think it's going to be. Like, no. Do you mean in terms of audience reception as opposed to the sheer cluster fudge that was? I think, Pat's? yeah. I think audience reception. I think La- audience apathy. Yeah. It, yeah. We were talking about this the other day, uh, and I appreciate we're reviewing Bridge of Spies, but um, I was. <laughs> I'm amazed at how little audiences cared about Cats because that musical's massive. I mean, I I can't stand it. I'm not a Lloyd Webber fan. I I, you, I could take Phantom of the Opera because I'm a miserable little goth, but uh, <laughs> but everything else he's done, I've just been like. Eh. Have you seen um, the Have you seen the uh, the film version of Phantom of the Opera? Oh, of Jared Butler. I've seen yeah. bits. It seemed a bit. It's all, it was all right. Yeah. I I I enjoyed it when I saw it at the cinema back in the day, and I actually went and brought the soundtrack. It was a lovely coffee book style soundtrack album. It was lovely. <laughs> um, but no, I think sometimes it depends on the, I think it depends on the musical. I think it also depends on how well that musical translates to the screen. Um, I think, I think the thing with cats, I think a lot of people, I think the bad reviews kind of, what well, the, the, the meme the meme and the bad reviews were just, I think were just the, was just the killing blow. Cats. I think. I think if Cats didn't get such a bad rep, got a bad rap when it came out in, at the cinemas, it might have been all right. It might have. It might have ticked over like a couple of weeks. It wouldn't have done. It wouldn't have done spectacular box office business, but it would have been like a, a safe, a safe film to enjoy during the winter period because it was being released just before Christmas, I believe. Yeah. So yeah, considering I think it was released big, on Christmas Day, actually. Uh. I think it was it was released released in December at least I know, yeah, yeah. but um, but no I think if if it wasn't if it wasn't 
highly praised film, or if it wasn't badly reviewed, it would have had kind of like a middling success. And I think it would have been all right. But the problem, but the problem is, considering some of the components were involved in the Lay Miz film, and the Lay Miz film went very, very well. I think a lot of people were kind of shocked that, that I think the director behind Lay Miz went to Cats, and oh no! I in, in a span of ten years, he went from um, um, from the King's Speech, which is one of my favourite movies, yeah, to Cats. <laughs> I just um, uh, it's Tom Hooper, isn't it? Uh, yes, Tom Hooper. Yeah. It's uh, weird, weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully he... Um... Well, he also, had the, he also had the Danish girl as well. Oh, yes, of course. I, yeah. I, never, I never caught that. I had good things. Yeah, just, just to go back and then we'll jump back to Bridge of Spies, the thing I would say is like, what's interesting about West Side Story, this is actually Spielberg's first musical. And it's, it's surprising that he hasn't... He has never directed a musical before. Obviously, he's had, <laughs> he's had songs in films, but he's never done a full, proper musical. Yeah. So I, I, I get, it feels like he's just, he's just like he's taken off his own personal box. I don't know if it's something that audiences are going to take to and be interested in, but... I think I would like to see a trailer. Let me see a trailer, and then I, I will say which way I, I, I lean more towards. Hmm. Um, but at the moment, it's kind of like I, I wasn't that demanding of a West Side Story remake. I don't think anyone is. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's, it's like when remakes just happen, it's like, oh, we're going to remake this, like... No one really wanted this, but you're going to get it. You're going to get it now. I'll tell you what I do want to be remade. Artemis Fowl. <laughs> still angry. It's, it's been two weeks, two weeks, and I'm still angry. Uh, I, I, oh, we play, yeah, we, um, off tangent, very quickly, we, uh, we played Screen Rant's uh, pitch meeting. Artemis Fowl. Oh, that was very good. I did enjoy and, that. And a lot of it just kind of hit the nail on the head. It's like, well, it's like, we're going to show Artemis is a fun school kid because, you know, he loves surfing in Ireland. <laughs> and who doesn't love surfing in Ireland? Well, definitely the kids. God, God, if these people had made Bridge of Spies, Mark Rylance would have been surfing like as a way of escaping <laughs> the FBI. No, no, no. He would have he would have done some sort of martial art to get away from his captors. <laughs> He would have he would have John Wicked himself out of the window. It would be. It would I would like love a, to see Mark Rylance like do a do a sort of like a Liam Neeson style. It'll be it'll be a mix between John Wick, Atomic Blonde, and Anna. <laughs> that's, that's one third of happen. a good movie there. Hollywood, make this happen, please. <laughs> Don't right. get Mark Rylance on the phone. <laughs> right, we have deviated far too much from yes. Bridge of Spies. Um, I think I think I think I've said as much as I want to say about yeah, I, it. Yeah, I, I've said as much as I need to say about it as well. The question what do you, is, what do you think I of fit- the arbitrary star rating. I'm curious to hear your one first. I feel like I should give it five. But four is what my my my, my heart saying five, my brain saying four. I'm going lower. Lower? Uh, it's not I, three stars. Here's the thing: I I don't mind the film. I think the film is good. The problem is, if I was to, if someone asked me, oh, I've never seen a Spielberg film, I'm I'm not going to reach for Bridge of Spies. Oh no, no. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the film is. The film is fine. The performances are great. It's just, it's it's just. I don't think this is going to be one. It, when we look back on the full career of Spielberg, I I don't think Bridge of Spies is going to be one that people immediately just go, "Well, that was an amazing film from his catalogue." It's like, no, it's a good film from his catalogue, 
but he has done so much better. And that's why I'm giving it three stars. So if I give it, because I, I, despite my criticisms, I still I think it's an exceptional movie. I'm going to give it, if I say five and then we compromise and have four. Yeah, all right. Yeah, you'll take that. Yeah. Because I feel, I feel like I'm probably going to have to compromise for our next review anyway, for your <laughs> by the sound of it. So deal, okay. four stars. Yeah, all right, fine. So individual rating, five from Christian, three from me, but the overall rating is four. I, I do agree with you. This is definitely, in terms of tears, this is a silver Spielberg. Oh, alliteration there, nice. Uh, purple prose. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is not this is not a conversation. I've, I, to be what is the what's the last Spielberg movie you would throw in a what probably Minority Report? It's twenty years old. Let me let me have a quick let me have a quick gander at, at what he's done. Let me have a gander. Let's have a gander. Is there certain films? There are certain films I forget he's actually directed. Uh, let's have a look. Let's have a look. Did so, you know he directed a film called Indiana Jones and the uh, Last Crusade? You may not be familiar with that title. Uh, Lincoln again, Daniel Day Lewis show War Horse. Well, I was there for the horse, and nothing else. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice uh, horse. I, Didn't like the war. Uh, I just wanted the film with subtitles for the horse. (laughs) (laughs) Why did you say it as I was drinking water? (laughs) No, 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 no. Right? (laughs) War horse, but we get Will Arnett to voice the horse. Bojack Warhorseman. <laughs> Bojack Warhorseman. Oh, that's a, that's no, a fan fiction I'm going to commission you to write. <laughs> no, I, I just, I mean, I've, I've thought, the vo- I would have gone with someone like Alexander Armstrong because there's an Armin um, release show. I don't think they properly animated, but they supported the release of a, a show called A Town Called Panic. Yes, um, and the little, little sort of Sabutio yeah, figures. Yeah, the little Sabutio figures and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And the TV show, they had dubbed in English. So you had people like Alexander Armstrong as the horse, and it was amazing. <laughs> and it's like my favourite episode is when I'm having the picnic and they discover the bus of uh, Brazilian fo- football players buried in the ground. I remember that one. That was brilliant. <laughs> it's It's like... It's like, what's the matter, horse? Robin, get me a spade. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's just the sheer absurdity. It's like, horse, can you do something for me? Of course, Robin. Can you get me some firewood? And it just cuts back and the horse has a sword in its mouth going, coming right up. <laughs> so yeah, I want War Horse just with Alexander Armstrong doing the voice all saying, oh, there's a war going on. Oh no, May, May, get off me, Sherlock. <laughs> or no, it's Tom Hiddleston. Get off me, Loki. <laughs> anyway. We, we should was... be part of Spielberg's in a circle. We'll definitely improve his movies. <laughs> so I'm just having a look. So War Horse, then we went from Adventures of Tintin. Okay, we Tintin. Went... I really, really, really dug Tintin. Tintin wasn't bad. Yeah. Tintin wasn't bad. But again, it's kind of like. It's not doesn't... quite. Go- I, I was, it's, it's, what's, the, what's in between gold and silver? <laughs> it's kind of like almost there. Almost there. Almost there. Uh, kind of like uh, a gold star. It's kind of like uh, you, you tried. <laughs> no, that's even worse. That's worse. That's the, that's the lowest ranking. The, the wonky well, star you, with comic sans. Like, you, you tried. It's like, you tried. <laughs> um, um, the Munich was, I really liked Munich. Munich I, was I good. don't like Munich. I really, we'll have to have a conversation about this later, yeah. but I didn't take to that at all. War of the World, eh. War of the World sucked. Terminal again was kind of like just a safe. It was safe. safe. I, I really enjoyed it, but I have had never have never had the urge to I, rewatch I, it. I think you're right. I think the last genuine Spielberg film I think I was captivated by was Minority Report. 
Because the rest of the films after that, there are good there are good elements in it, or there are just it's it you just kind of forget they even exist. Crystal Skull. Um, oh God. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's like Ready Player One. I didn't mind, but yep, yeah, it's not it's not a great film at times. BFG I haven't seen. Uh, Bridge of Spies, we've already talked about. Lincoln again, Daniel Day-Lewis, War Horse. It's all about the horse. Tintin, it's more about technology rather than... It's, it, it's, film, it's not Spielberg, that's the selling, that's the yeah. draw. Well, with, yeah. with Minority Report, all, you know, backwards all the way to like, Jaws, definitely. It's it's, yeah. it's Spielberg as the... Start. Very, much mean, like, it's, very much like Tarantino is still held today. It's like every Tarantino yeah. movie is a, it's a Tarantino movie. Yeah. I mean, I look at I look in the period of nineties. Um, obviously, he finished off the nineties with Saving Private Ryan, which we've talked about on the show. He did Amistad as well, which again was a, was like a very rare prestige pick from him at the time, which was fine. And, that, that I, and I think that got I think that got again that got Oscar got nominations. Nods, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lost World, Jurassic Park was a bit of a. Uh, I a, think a mis- that was more of an excuse just to see see if they could push the technology further. And I, I do yeah. recall enjoying the I did I, I enjoyed the last act. Especially yeah, the, 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 T-Rex, it's a great T-Rex idea throwing the dinosaurs in in San Francisco or wherever yeah. it was. Yeah, and then obviously we have Schindler's List, we have Jurassic Park, and he started the nineties off with Hook, which wasn't a bad film. Which I, is kind of, think, it's, it's a culty film. It's a culty film. I I've, I think Hook is criminally underrated. I, I I feel I feel the response to Hook was I I feel like a lot of critics and a lot of filmmakers were waiting for Spielberg to have his first proper fuck up. Like, because I think I think a, I think a lot of Hollywood's attitude towards Spielberg over his career has been resentment at this young hotshot coming in and just changing the rules. Yeah, um, it's why I mean the amount of snot the Oscar snubs he's had in his career. I mean, like mm. they've been snubbed for um, Jaws, The Color Purple, and things like this. I think um, he was nominated for Color Purple, wasn't he? I think I don't think he was nominated for director. I think the film was nominated, but he wasn't. It was nominated for eleven Oscars, and I'm just going to a quick look. Uh, he was nominated, he got an Oscar nomination in producing for Best Picture. But yeah, you're right, no no director, no yeah, director. I, I, I recall him talking about that, he wasn't, he, or the, the, the rumours are that he was um, a bit hurt by that, but you know. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, I, I think Hook was very much a case of, um, haha, you've made a bad film, everyone, let's jump on Spielberg. I think it was yeah. still a box office success. I think, uh, yeah, it was, and I think, it, I, I think it's good. Um, it's just it is a weird film though. It is I will give you that culty is the right phrase. I, I just keep, I just keep remind I just keep remembering the Family Guy sketch where Tom Tucker's supposed to try and do an interview with Dustin Hoffman and they've just replaced it with clips from his films. <laughs> so they they start off with Are you trying to seduce me, Mrs. Robinson? No, I'm Tom Tucker. Bring me Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, oh, sure, will thing, Dustin. Ah, oh, yeah. Was, that the, was that the one good joke in that episode of Family Guy? I take it. Uh, so is like little bits and pieces I remember <laughs> uh, right anyway so uh, yes you can watch Bridge of Spies on Netflix and we're going to stay with the streaming platform for our next film because Will Ferrell is entering Eurovision it's Eurovision the story of Fire Saga here's a clip ever since we were children we've had one dream winning the Eurovision Song Contest alright everyone this is Secret. We are Fire Saga. Who wants to hear our Eurovision song? All of Iceland thinks we are a joke. That's not true. And my father is ashamed of me. No, he's not. He looked me into the eyes and said, I am ashamed of you. Maybe he was drunk. He said, 
And you might think that I'm drunk, but I am dead sober. Idiot. Officially, Fire Saga will be representing Iceland at Eurovision this year. I hate them. Absolutely terrible. They're old, disgusting people. But we have no choice. So we're in. Right. So uh, no, no Eurovision Song Contest this year. Uh, which, which is a shame, but I think this film makes for it in, in many ways. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we'll, you're right. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But the story of Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, uh, Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams are aspiring song uh, perform- songwriters and performers in, in Iceland. Uh, however, they are not well received by even their own countrymen and their own peers and all that sort of stuff. So when, uh, and, their, and their overall goal has been they want to take part in the Eurovision Song Contest. So when through a strange series of events, they are able to represent the country, they finally are able to fulfill their dream, but it's not an easy road. And will they even get to the final showing time? It's all, it's all the, it's all the standard, uh, we, we have a dream, these dreams sort of. It's the same and- story you've seen a million times. But this time, the story is all about Eurovision. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it's like Netflix has been planning this for a while. Um, I mean, obviously, this was meant to coincide with the real Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, so it got pushed back, I think, about a month. It was supposed to come out in May, but they, they pushed it back a month just to kind of give it some breathing space. The Eurovision Song Contest, it might not be the best thing in the world, but, you know, the the atmosphere, the community, the spirit, more often not, the music The music is, is fun. It's... You always, it's like, you always get a kick out of just watching, like, one one night in the year, you just watch this sort of cavalcade of music from all across Europe. And, I mean, for... It's, a, it's United, a glittery car crash. Yeah, it's a glittery car crash. You have some acts that are really, really good, some acts that are sort of, eh, and some acts that are just memorable for all the wrong reasons um, yeah, you just know the country that sent them are in on the joke as well like. yeah yeah and it's kind of yeah it's like yeah from from a uk perspective well if, the, we, the, if we ever yeah. win eurovision again i will be amazed but we're, 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 never, we're never gonna win eurovision um the problem in the problem of eurovision in itself is it really shows the cultural divide between the uk and europe because although we're, although we're geographically sort of like linked with europe culturally we're very different I mean, that's, that's mm. the, that's just an, that's just a reality of having the English Channel and the North Sea in the way for the last, uh, several thousand years. But, um, we, we give, we give it a go and we always come last place. And we kind of, I think the problem in, in Britain is we take Eurovision a bit too, we take it serious and we take it too seriously to the point where we don't treat it, we don't treat it with the same humor as it should I think be. We, I think we don't really treat it with the same sort of, of, um, affection and good he's like yeah, we, yeah. It's like, we, we we can we can obviously we we enjoy it as viewers i was gonna say it's it's weird because um <laughs> the uk is uk's like biggest cultural capital we have is our music i like, mm. like we're, we're the country that gave the beatles you know and the rolling stones and like um, we've been pioneering like um like it's probably I would say more than America, but if I'm being honest, a second to the States. But um, um, I mean, the contest in itself, you can't look back at previous entries for the United Kingdom. We had people like uh, Cliff Richard. We had, it's like Cliff Richard. It's like you had decent songs. <laughs> there are we people had, that still think he was, you know, he was screwed. He should have been number I mean, one. He should have I won mean, that. Back, back in the day, I think, 
any sort of British singer would be thrilled to be part of Eurovision. Now, nowadays, no, not so much. No, well, now, the thing, nowadays, is- no, one, no one wants to be associated with it because they know they're just going to be laughed out. Which I think is really, which I think, okay, fair enough. It's it, it's kind of expected, obviously. I, I guess because of politics and all that sort of stuff. But I, I think sometimes people are only getting involved just simply because a they're unfortunately the unlucky artist, or b. They're trying to think, oh, well, if we just send blue, we'll win this automatically. We came fourth when we sent blue. That's not <laughs> bad, actually. That's that not bad. That wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. And I think sometimes, I think if we, I think if we approached, you're right, if we approached the Eurovision Song Contest with the same amount of affection and respect that a lot of the other countries do, it might change It might change the opinion of, of our standings. But you're right, it's not, it's not going to change because obviously we, our musicians are too... I don't want to sound too pretentious, but our musicians are too cool for this kind of thing. Or at least they, they, yeah. I, feel, I feel like they have the mentality that they're too cool, or that they're yeah. doing this would wreck their reputations. It's just, the, the one British act who would guarantee a victory for Britain because they're so adored, especially in the Eastern Bloc and Scandinavia. Right, I, I, I'm going to name a band to you, right? And this may be slightly out of the blue, not blue. Mm. All right, but I guarantee if they wrote a song for, for Eurovision, took it seriously and performed, we would win. We'd smash it. Iron Maiden. Okay. <laughs> it's true. They, they, they're, they're the biggest. Iron Maiden are the big, one of the biggest bands to ever come out of the UK. And, pe- and people don't realise just how popular they are because they're a metal act. It's mm. very, and, and metal is kind of excluded from um, the popular music press. Well, it has, well. Rock has won Eurovision previously. Rock well, Lordy. Yeah, Lordy, yep, uh, a few years back. Um, but yes, yeah, so I think we're just... Go- I, we're, I we're, this is a Eurovision chat. We're meant to be talking about the film. But we are... So, it is the topic <laughs> of Eurovision. So we are kind of giving sort of context to, to what we're about to discuss here. And I think in terms of capturing that sort of feel-good nature, that authenticity of the Eurovision experience this film nails it yes good 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 comeback that was that, yeah. i like that that was a nice bridge there um yeah. like the bridge in bridge of spice um yeah. yeah um i think you're right and the, the the best thing about this film is that it's definitely it's a nice it's accidentally become a nice placeholder for the eurovision song contest in itself mm. absolutely um the the biggest i mean should we start talking about the, like certain parts of the film because um well, well Here's the thing. It's like I've I've had a look at some of these reviews for Eurovision, the movie. That bloody harsh. And it's like, what were they kind of expecting? Were they expecting Will Ferrell and Co to kind of take the piss out of the contest? Considering Will Ferrell has gone on record and is absolutely in love with this contest, I I don't think that was ever going to happen. Especially no. when Eurovision have actually put their seal of approval. You've got Eurovision stages. You've got Branding all over the place. Hmm. Eurovision took the Eurovision welcomes Will Ferrell and Co into the world, and they're repaying it. Well, I mean, this is this is actually a, I, I have a lot of positive things to say about this movie, but I, I will I will start uh, with some criticisms, and it actually relates to that. I think mm. I think the fact that this movie is a, an officially sanctioned Eurovision film mm. um, is detrimental to its ability to. Um, uh, act as a comedy. Um, it, okay. it very much, it very much reminds me of Zoolander. Um, okay, Zoolander. The original Zoolander was a film about of outsiders making fun of the fashion industry. Now, it was never, it wasn't a vicious, vicious um, it wasn't a vicious satire. It was a friendly parody. It was, it was, mm. it was, a, it was a loving jab in the arm. 
It was, it was an affectionate movie and it worked because it was so, so affectionate. I mean, and, and very much with, with Eurovision, it had sort of like over the top surrealism as well, but mm. it was never, it was never nasty. No. Um, and it carried, it carried over to Zoolander 2, which is fine, but the problem Zoolander 2 lost its comedic authenticity in the fact that the outsiders, um, uh, Ben, um, Stiller, Ben, thank you, Ben Stiller and, and co became insiders and the fashion industry opened up and they wanted to be part of the film. And it, it, it loses something. It loses its kind of outsider edge. Um, that's my biggest problem with Eurovision. The fact, um, and the, the, the scene that really killed the movie for me, that really, really lost me. And it, it had to fight to earn my, uh, my, um, affection, um, after this was there is a moment in the middle of the film. Um, bear in mind the film is too long anyway. It's two hours. It's far yeah. too long for what it's trying I mean, to do. It's like, I thought, it's like when things happen before, oh, we've only got half an hour. It's like, there's 50 minutes still to yep. go. What? When, <laughs> when, I, when I paused the film to make a cup of tea and I realised that I hadn't, it was two hours long, I was generally devastated. Um, but anyway, halfway through the film, there is a nearly 10 minute uh, sequence where all these past stars, the genuine stars from the Eurovision, former Eurovision entrance, are miraculously in a... Um, uh, sort of like a mansion in Edinburgh and they all start singing not their songs not Eurovision songs but various uh, American pop songs um, it very much it felt it was the only way I could describe it was a poor man's pitch perfect that's immediately what I thought the moment they started singing I thought oh no is this going to be a pitch perfect style riff yes, but then it just it becomes is. this foam, full blown like three minute music video it's which, awful I didn't know yeah. I it, think, it, it, I, I it, think does it does it work within the context of the film up to that point? No, I think I think if you were just kind of like I think you know what that's kind of like a sequence that kind of could have just been put onto the end credits. It should have been. It should. It, it would have been nice as a little square playing with the credits rolling. That that would have mm. been perfect. Um, but what it is is it's cheap. It's um. It feels like it's the. It, it feels like this. The Eurovision Committee have insisted the scene is included. Um, and it totally, totally takes you out of the movie. Um, and it just, it reminded you that this isn't a group of outsiders who are affectionately, um, jabbing mm. Eurovision. This is actually Eurovision themselves saying, aren't we great? We can make fun of ourselves as well. And regardless of your thoughts on Eurovision, because obviously there's always a self-awareness, an element of self-awareness of Eurovision that's developed over the last couple of decades mm. and maybe further. It it, it 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 stops the film from being. I'm going to use that word again. It it stops the film from being cool. It becomes quite uncool. And after that, it took it took a good half an hour for me to sort of start enjoying the film again. It took real Farrell. It it took. I mean, we won't go to the specifics because. Oh, just one thing. If you haven't seen the trailer yet, don't watch the trailer. Mm. The trailer is literally the entire film in two minutes condensed. Yeah, and it and it reveals some of the best jokes. Go into this film blind if you can, because the, the 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 scene that saved this film for me was when their actual, you know, their 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 semi final entry. Um, the the you know something's going to go wrong, and I'm not going to tell you what goes wrong. Um, and it, and you know what's about to go wrong when it's set up. The the comedy is so good. I I had to pause the film because I was laughing so hard at what at what goes wrong. I could see you smirking. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That that saved it for film. That, that if it hadn't been for that moment, I would have hated this film because of that awkward Eurovision dance off in the middle of the film. Um, so that that's it's, my 
biggest gripe uh, is that there's the fundament is yeah fundamental problem is it's too much of the insiders uh, poking fun of themselves. It's too, too, it's too official. It's too sanctioned. I kind of like. Have you ever seen the Eurovision episode of Father Ted, a song for Europe? Yes. Yeah. So that's obviously a, a straight parody, and there is no affiliation whatsoever, and it's edgier, and it works. That that twenty five minute episode of Father Ted, it works a lot better than this two hour movie. Mm. In fact, there is elements of that story that feel a bit too close. Uh, plot wise with this and I, I was starting to feel like this this film is plagiarizing um the subplot of the the Icelandic TV producer who is worried about the um the contest bankrupting uh, it's the minister he's it's sorry producer. the minister yeah he's he's yeah. worried that the okay. so the winner of the Eurovision Song Contest has to host it the next year and there's a yeah. subplot in this movie where um a minister doesn't want them to win because he knows that they can't afford to host it that is the plot of the Father Ted episode Father Ted is sent to perform intentionally to guarantee that Ireland don't host Eurovision for the seventh time in a row because they're running out of money. Mm. It's the same plot. And I, I was a bit, I felt a bit uncomfortable. Like the, the, you, cannot have ri- you cannot have written a parody of Eurovision and not watch that episode of Father Ted. And it's a very mm. iconic piece of television, even for Americans. That's, if, if you're an American and you know about Eurovision, I'd be surprised if you didn't know about that episode of Father Ted. Okay. Uh, so yeah, th- those those are my big criticisms. Um, <laughs> mm. um, actually, I've got another thing I want to say as well. That's, uh, <laughs> feel free to tell me to shut up. But do you think it's weird? Speaking of host, actually, it's just really speaking of host nations. I right? think I know where you're going. I think you know where why the fuck is gl- is Edinburgh the host city? Did we somehow win in Eurovision in an alternate timeline? Or did Australia win it one year? That's the weird. So this is the weird thing, right? They even make a joke about it. It's a good joke about the fact that um, you know UK is never going to win the. um, Uh, It's always it's always nil point. It's always (laughs) nil point. Yeah, when they made that joke, was like, "Yep, that is completely true. true. That's true. (laughs) That's true." Edinburgh is a gorgeous city. I love Edinburgh. It's one of my favourite places. I mean, I have to say that I'm half Scottish, so I'm like, it's it's a legal requirement for me to say that Edinburgh is beautiful. But it's true. And if you've never been, go. But the problem is, if you're so, if you're removing these Icelandic characters from their Icelandic setting, that this is the stereotypical Nordic setting, and you want to you want to make them the fish out of water, drop them off in somewhere exotic. Mm. Scotland is too culturally similar to a lot of these Nordic countries. In fact, there are many people in Scotland. Many people consider Scotland to be spiritually Nordic in itself. You kind of it would have worked better. Contra- you would have. You would have done a better job contrasting the sort of Nordic experience by dropping them off in in Rome, mm. or or even Paris, or even or, um, or, across. I think they filmed a little bit at Tel Aviv, yeah, as well in twenty nineteen contest. Yes, yeah, so something like that. I mean, anywhere, anywhere. You want it to be warm. You want it to be a, a warm Mediterranean setting. Edinburgh doesn't make sense. Ignoring the fact that the UK would have had to have won, or maybe Australia, like you said, yeah. It yes. just, it just, it doesn't feel. And it, uh, the way that the way the characters describe Edinburgh, it's Edinburgh is a beautiful city, but the way that they describe, they're describing it with a romanticism that that's normally reserved for Paris, mm. and it just, it really just doesn't work. Um, yeah, because um, for our listeners who aren't aware, it's like they're going, "Why is Australia being mentioned?" And this is Europe. It's like, well, Australia oh, yeah. got invited. <laughs> yeah, Australia got invited to be part of the contest uh, a few years back, and they've been like a constant sort of presence it's like they usually qualify through semi-finals um but the thing is if australia ever wins it's held 
at a random city. So it's probably Australia won that year. I'm not sure. It's also a bit weird, especially if you are very familiar with Edinburgh and Glasgow. Oh, yeah. The it's place, the Hydro Dome, isn't it? The place that they hold the contest is in Glasgow's um, Scotland Exhibition Convention Centre. So it was kind of like, this isn't in Edinburgh. It's like, and we have, <laughs> and we have friends that live in both, both live both in Edinburgh and Glasgow. They they must be going for a trip if they see this. Well, it's weird because <laughs> like, there's, there's a scene where that Will Ferrell's character is driving desperately driving to um, the, uh, the the stadium that is in Glasgow, and they've, they 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 must they have, have superimposed it Edinburgh. on this Edinburgh road. I, was like, I know this part of Edinburgh they're filming in. I'm yeah. like, where the hell has that come from? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it, I mean, at least it kind of works. I mean, if you're not that familiar with it, you're not. It's, it's not as jarring as, yeah. say, um, in Fast and Furious, uh, Hobbs and Shaw, where London becomes Glasgow, and like I mean, that doesn't make sense because <laughs> Glasgow is a gridded city on a yeah. hill and it's quite small compared to London, which is obviously a, a medieval mess. <laughs> so like that, it's so jarring those kind of cuts. But yeah, mm. but it, the, the geography was a bit was really odd, and again, it took me out of the film. Mm. Um, but I think that's I think that's only if you kind of really know the areas. But I'm more talking uh, about the fact that again, going to Edinburgh as the host city. Yeah, again, yeah, it's just like it felt very yeah, it just felt very weird when they just went, hey, we're going to Edinburgh. It's like what? <laughs> I was having this conversation with Mitch, like why why would they choose Edinburgh? And she said, like, don't you know Edinburgh's famous? It has that one scene in Endgame. I mean, Infinity War. Sorry, <laughs> what the fight at Waverley Station? Yeah, the, the, and the cafe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. So we've got here goes another trilogy of movies. We've got Infinity War, Eurovision, and um, my favourite Edinburgh-based movie, uh, Train Spotting. Ah, all all united by just filming at Waverley Station. Absolutely. Like I don't, yeah. I don't know. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, let's get back to the film. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I think that those those comments are are valid. Um, in terms of the the Eurovision medley sing along, it's like I was kind of put off at first, but it was it was it, I think it was, it was fan service. I think the the people that are probably going to get the most out of that are probably the, the absolute diehard Eurovision fans because I didn't know half the people that were performing. <laughs> I recognised I recognised a few. Uh, I recognised uh, Netta, who won with Toy. Uh, mm. What's What's her name? Can he, is it can Kanicha Worst? I can't. I can't name. remember. I mean, we, we, we should have gotten a reset. We should have gotten a sheet of all the. All, all I know yeah. is I, I recognise them for having watched it over the years, and I'm sure. Yeah. Again, if, if you're if you're a Eurovision aficionado, then you're going to know everyone that's there. If you're not, if you're casual like you and I, you're going to be. Oh, it's that person from that year, and oh, that's yeah, because yeah, because they have the the piano player in the in the park and it's like oh that's the guy from the netherlands who won with that really dull song oh yes yeah it's like it's like it's like oh yeah i remember what what this guy is who this guy was it's the song that i really didn't like winning eurovision that year <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think because at the time it's like there were better songs around him because he was just that with his piano i think i think it may have been a case of like they they, they won because they stood out for being distinctive, I mean, like, if we, if we what, could start talking about the positives of this this film, and and again talking about this being a placeholder for the real Eurovision Song Contest, <laughs> I bloody love the music here. I mean, it's, it's a problem. Is- it, it, this is meant to be a parody. Even if this is meant to be a friendly parody, the problem with this movie is that it's not a parody. It's actually a straight adaptation of what the Eurovision Song Contest is like because there was not a single song even including Fire Saga's music there was not a single song I could not imagine um, being 
in the real Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. Especially, um, um, oh, what's his name? Um, oh, Dan, Dan Stevens. Um, Carol Like a Lion. Oh, that one. The Russian uh, no, entry. Pride, Pride, of a Lion, Pride of a Lion, but it's like the performance, you just watch the performance, you just go, that is so Eurovision, it is... It's scary. It's per- it re- it's perfect. It, and they mu- I, I don't know if they've they've collaborated with like actual musicians who've worked over the years, but the the songs are so spot on. Even as I think it's Portugal have a heavy metal entry, which is basically a lampooning Lordy. And I, yeah. I, as a, as a metalhead myself, I laughed and I thought again again I laughed at what's what, you know clearly the, the friendly jab at Lordy, but I was also thinking this is a really good cheesy really good metal song? track. I'm, I'm enjoying this, even though it's t- it's typical Eurovision cheese. But- um, but yeah, the the music is astonishing in this. It's and the fact of the matter is, there's an, the, yeah, the songs would be in place of Eurovision. There's one or two songs here that would actually win it as well. I genuinely, I, I think, I think Fire Saga's fine. Their, their last song, the, the sort of the finale of the movie. I genuinely yeah. think that could have won if it was a real yeah. contest. I would um, love next year because they always do uh, during the. Um, when, when the votes are being counted, they always have like either the previous winner or they do like a mm. montage of. So I would love it if they brought um, uh, Will Farrell and um, um, uh, my, and Rachel McAdams. And, but, and actually uh, Rachel McAdams. Well, Rachel oh, McAdams no, she's, doesn't she's, sing. She's dubbed, it's, uh, yeah, it's um, performed by an artist, my Marianne. Yes. Yes, who has I think who has represented Sweden before? Ah. Um, in a it's like in a in a group or something like that. But um, I've, no, her I, vocals I, are I, incredible. Yeah, it's just like. It's like that final song is kind of like, it's not, it's not just a very good Eurovision song that would win. It is a, I think in terms of original songs I've heard this year, that it's just stunning. It really is. I mean, it's a shame that the critical consensus seems to be so down on this because I think that yeah. would be deserving of a best song nomination. It's like, what? It's like, it's like I guess people coming into this with, with an, and coming out with the negative views, it's kind of like, what, what were they really expecting? I think you're right. They were, I think they were kind of expecting more of a Zoolander approach to it but you know what sometimes comedies can work by being wholesome and there are good elements to this film i think i mean it's it's for me it's typical b movie grade will ferrell it's yeah. not brilliant will ferrell but it's not sure it's not holmes and watson ferrell oh no it's no no this this and again i i i appreciate i've i've brought a lot of criticism to this film mm. um but when as with any comedy the best way of judging it is, did it make you laugh? Mm. I, and again, it may have helped that I had a few whiskeys in me when I started watching this, but I was la- I was either chuckling all the way through, because I mean, so, some, of the, some of the humour, especially in Iceland, is understated. Like this, his interactions with Pierce Brosnan, who is great in this. Pierce Brosnan is the most so handsome, funny. The uh, most handsome man in Ireland. He's, uh, no, in Iceland. In, in Iceland, and yes. Ireland. And, he, and Ireland. <laughs> he's, um, he, he, he's very, he's, he's a very dry He's hardly, he's, he's, he's taking this kind of, you know, there's a bit of a nod and a wink for this movie, but he's also taking it quite seriously and it works really well. So she, he plays off with Will Ferrell so good, especially when they're like fishing together and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The, the, the quirky, quirky low level humor in Iceland works, it made me, it like tickled me all the way through. Especially mm-hmm. little things like the whales dancing and stuff like that. Stupid little jokes. <laughs> it's like, oh, look at the whales. I like, I mean, I mean, <laughs> on the, the only police officer in Iceland like, like arrests them and like, like, kind of like, go on, let us off. Go on, let us go. You're being very uncool. <laughs> be <laughs> just, cool. Like, be be cool. very cool. It's just like, it's, that's, 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 I mean, again, that's, that's so. That's Play Yaya Ding Dong. 
<laughs> yes, that's a, a, a yeah a song they're forced to play over and over again throughout the movie. It's like See, who wants to hear a Eurovision song? No. <laughs> <laughs> See, like joke, these the jokes hit, and then and yeah. then again the, the elaborate jokes, the the more over the top ones at the Eurovision song contest. They're really funny. I like, like the, and again, the, the the moment that saved the film for me. I I had to pause because I was laughing so hard I I couldn't hear anything else. And um, yeah, the, the jokes do hit. This I I don't think this is the best Will Ferrell movie. No, it's not. It, it's, it's a mid tier. It's mid tier. I would partner this with Blades of Glory. Yes, actually, that's a very, that's that's very good. Because again, companion I, again, I really like Blades of Glory, but I know it's not the most perfect comedy it's, film out it's there. A, it's, it's a bit rubbish, but it's it, it's got enough good going for it. It's, it's It has its moments, like obviously the weird combination of Will Ferrell and John Heater trying to do ice skating. They're being, and they're being trained by Mr. Incredible himself, Craig T. Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have you have um, Will Arnett and, he, and I think his wife at the time, uh, Amy Fowler, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, as the as the weird married, yeah. sibling, as this weird sister couple, <laughs> brother sister couple, and then you even have the sort of their final performances like it's the relationship between JFK and Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like- <laughs> so it's that kind of quirky sensibility which mm. which Farrell was infused in this film really mm. works for me, and it, mm. it might be just a little bit a case of its its personal taste. Like, yeah. I, I think the, the the things that are wrong with this film, and there are things that are wrong with this film, are probably they would probably be enough to push people the other way if they're not too keen on Will Ferrell. Yeah, uh, which is probably why the response has been as um, audience scores seem to be quite high, but critical consensus seems to be a lot lower. Yeah, um, I haven't. I mean, on, on my own social feeds, in terms of my friends, I haven't heard a, a, a marginally overtly negative thing. Obviously, people still have those sort of. The comments. I mean, mo- mo- the, the common consensus is some jokes work, but the music is incredible. Yeah, yeah, and I, think and I, I generally, if you if you're a fan of Eurovision, uh, or you you will, you would love this film. I would be mm. amazed if you didn't like this film if you weren't a fan of Eurovision. If you're mm. a broader audience, I think it's going to be your well, Marmite. Yeah, it's, it's Marmite. Be, yeah. I think that's spot on. I, I, mean, again, real, I, I love real film. I think Rachel McAdams gives a very good performance as well. But, uh, I, think she, I think she's the heart. I think she's the heart and soul of the film. Yeah, because yeah. it's like it's like I've she's had a really good sort of good resume full of dramatic roles. But it's like ever since things like Game Night came in a few years ago, and Game Night is really is, that's is very, very funny. Yeah, um, they're sort of like oh, she's again she's having a John C. Riley effect. But basically, oh, she can do comedy as well, and it's like she's she's very she's very innocent, she's naive, and she's very she's she's very wholesome in the film. Yes, I, I love her wholesome. relationship with these elves that she's obsessed <laughs> the elves. with. <laughs> I think little said in the oven, the elves. Oh yeah, yeah, the, I think, yeah. I won't I won't give any of the jokes away, but the elf stuff is flipping great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean the. The cast, the cast are nice as well. The, ca- like, the cast, sorry, a- I was going to just say, the standout performance is Dan Stevens. Yes. Dan Stevens is really good in this. Like, um, and, uh, as the, um, it's not really a as spoiler because Rus- it's so obvious, but the closeted yeah. homosexual Russian who, um, who, who insists like, that there are no gay men in Russia. Oh, it's like, it's kind <laughs> of like, which is you, obviously you, you a, there's a quip that is statistically impossible. I think the thing as well is kind of like, to begin with, you kind of think, oh, is he, is he just the sleazy, sleazy competitor? But, as the film progresses, it kind of feels yeah. more like he's more, yeah, he's more thinking about success and fame. But I think there's a bit, there is kind of like a bit of sweet element to his story because yes, if he's 
clearly the closeted gay performer. Obviously, it's Countryland doesn't really accept no. that sort of way of life at the moment, which and is a shame, and t- it kind of adds tragedy to it. Yeah, and it's it's, it's a subtle. T- I mean, I say subtle. It's it's it's, it's discussed overtly in the film, but um, mm. it's um, it's it's sad. It's a, it is mm. a nice little tragic knot um, because, um, <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, like. Um, there's obviously there is a, a um, LGBT plus appreciation for the Eurovision and has been yeah. for a long time because it, it it just it ticks all those boxes and it's it's wonderfully elaborate and mm. um, it, it, his performance is definitely um, it's it's wonderfully homoerotic in the in the cheesiest sen- um, sense of the phrase and um, yeah again his his song is just so good I I think his song would win. The Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. I mean, is, is, uh, is is this actually Dan Stevens? I know he's is is his. He's not singing. It's he's no, not singing. No, because he is so is so deep his his voice it's all like, the way through the film. It's like a deep sort of operatic voice. Ah, uh, that, uh, that opening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about Volcano Man, are we? Oh no, no, I was talking about the opening of his oh. song. The oh, oh, yeah. but, oh. Um, but Volcano Man in itself is bloody great. It, I, it's. The trailer should have just been Volcano Man, a music video, because that's how the film opens with them fantasizing about this. It's a shame it's only like a minute and 30. It needs, I to, want be, a full, it needs I, to be seven I want minutes a free, long. I, I want a three minute song. I mean, a lot of the other songs, Double Trouble, uh, which is their entry, uh, that has like a proper three minute version. There's even a remix of the song as well. Really? <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack's all on Spotify right now. I, uh, I get, would love to grab this on vinyl if anyone's listening. Um, um, they've got yeah. So there's full versions for things like uh, Double Trouble, uh, the uh, Dan Stevens song. There's a full version of that. That's about three minutes. Uh, even even the uh, the Greece uh, the 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 Greece uh, the Grecian ladies uh, song. I don't remember the character's name off the top of my head. Um, but the one who attempts to woo Will Ferrell. Yes. Uh, yeah. Her song her song is in full on there as well. Even even some of the the secondary songs or even like the ninety minute ninety minute ninety second songs like you, like the the Lordy tribute. Yeah. Is is all on the soundtrack Brilliant. and it's it's wonderful. Um. So yeah, I've I've already added quite a few of these songs to my Spotify list. Excellent. Just, Good man. Yeah, Volcano I, Man is particularly. I mean, like that got me really excited for this film when it dropped about a month ago. Because again, it's it's ridiculous. It's it's stupid, but it's also brilliantly spot on. Yeah. And and Ian, you are my Volcano Man. Volcano Man. <laughs> volcano man. Protector Man. Uh, yeah, that's my that's my cosplay for twenty uh, twenty twenty one. Oh, please, please do. Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you go as Volcano Man, I'll go as Dan Stevens' character. Like, <laughs> oh yes, I think. Oh yes, yes. Okay, that's a cos. That's a cosplay. That's I've, a cosplay I've got idea. his range as well when he's singing, <laughs> or his character's range. So that's good. We just need to find you like the the tiger, the tiger. Print gold absolutely. <laughs> I'll do the Russian voice. The Russian yes. voice. Um, so, oh, yes. uh, what we, uh, is there anything else we want to talk about in terms of? Uh, so we've covered performances. Yeah, we've covered performances. I think. I think my final thoughts with Eurovision is this film was never going to win the high plaudits that other comedies sometimes seek. But you know what? I think it does enough, and it does, and and elements of it make it make it so enjoyable that it captures your heart it's kind of like the it's it's not about it's not about the winning it's about the taking part and i think i think at its heart there is a lot to enjoy about eurovision when you get past those sort of 
glaring those glaring issues but at the end of the day it's uh, yeah it ca- it captures my heart it captures my affection um so yeah consider considering it's probably not going to be a film of the year candidate or even in the top in a in a top 10 list i still really enjoyed this film yeah i i think this is going to develop a cult following mm. um i i think th- I, I think there'll be a good way to watch this movie group of friends uh you know drinks flowing um just just i i i think this would do well as a sing along um yes. uh, like um like little um um what's it called Flower, um oh the versions. the shop of horrors little little shop of horrors it's a little shop of horrors isn't it yeah mm. th- kind of that kind of vein um mm. although not not as dark and cynical um yeah, it, there are there are problems with this movie which we've discussed. Um, you're right; it's never going to be it's never going to be critically lauded. Um, mm. I don't think it deserves the harsh treatment it's getting. Some of the reviews I've read, especially from American critics, they seem to be more criticising Eurovision as a as a concept as opposed to the film itself, which seems a bit absurd to me. Well, it's kind um, of like, but, it's like the BBC, it's like the BBC did a two star review. I didn't, their, I didn't from their from their high art from their sort of like high arts. This has been bugging me for a while because they've been getting Will Gomez to um to do um he is he normally reviews um art galleries high theatre yeah. they they got him to review a Joe Rogan podcast and it was all, it just felt like a weird flex from the BBC is it just 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 because Joe Rogan's made, signed a deal with Spotify yeah that that was why you... they did it and they gave, yeah. they gave they gave a podcast interview two stars from their high arts um critic so yeah he, he they've, 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 also they've, gave who also gave you a vision two stars as well saying oh it's a flop it's like is it you i don't think you were the intended audience mate no and i, I think <laughs> a critic who doesn't take into consideration an intended audience is not a very good film critic in my estimation um there's nothing wrong with just like like we've done um and uh, I, again i i think this film will have an audience i think the audience will love this film my, general audiences it's going to be marmite like you say um for me I, despite its flaws, the film won me over and I will probably rewatch this on occasion. Um, again, with a few whiskeys in me. Um, mm. I, I really took to this. I, I, th- I think, and considering you, you've said previously that Netflix films have not necessarily endeared to you. Are you, are you, you, can't, you, you out of the films you've watched that have been Netflix originals, have you seen this has been probably your most enjoyable yes. experience? Yeah, I mean, oh, it's, it's, not, it's not the best um the romantic comedy we watched. What was it with the teenagers? Um, oh, the, the half of it. Half of it. Thank you. Yes, the half of it. Yes. I think was uh, the, of all the Netflix films we watched since lockdown. That was that was the better movie of the bunch. I think a, a lot of them have been dire. To be honest, this is the one I've enjoyed the most, and uh, this is the one of all of those films I will rewatch. Um, I, in terms of a star rating, I'm tempted to give it. Four feels four feels too high. Three feels a little bit too low for the good things they've managed to achieve in this for me. So I don't know if you want to. I, and what, are you, what are you feeling? Were you thinking three? I think if the music wasn't there, I'd be thinking three. But I think the music tips it to four. I gen- I genuinely think the music is astonishing for this film. I agree, but I think the flaws are too. I think. I know we compromised for Bridge we of Spies. Com- we, we compromised on Bridge of Spies, so. Can we counter compromise here? Did you want to say three and a half? Or did you want to push it to four as well? Mm. Be dispassionate. Does this feel like a four star movie? Not necessarily. 
Well, I. If it's if it wasn't if it wasn't Edinburgh most, and it most... didn't have the Eurovision sequence in the middle, I would gladly give this four. This is a conundrum. This really is. It's almost as if rating films on a star sequence is arbitrary to <laughs> is, is is a pointless act that doesn't reflect I mean, the quality I, of the art involved. I think this is generally the first time we're kind of at odds of what we want to read. I think it's true actually. We're normally because we we have very well, different. We're British we spies. Very, British spies. British spies. Earlier we were a bit. But we we have quite different tastes when it comes to film. But like we seem to we, we seem to have a similar opinion of what makes a good film, which is interesting. Um, I I will go three point five. I feel mean now. Now let's go four. I, Joe, I, I, yeah, I'll, no, I'll be nice. I, no, I, no, I'm no, I'm being no. In in if we compare it to other four star films, it does. It 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 no way feels like a four star film. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the way I sometimes bring my star ratings in is it's not. It's kind of like the overall kind of experience and kind of like my overall sort of reflection of the film. So again, like when, the reason I could I explained it with Bridge of Spies. The reason I gave it free was because I enjoyed it. But it's not one I'm immediately going to go again, 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 again. Mm. Yeah. Whereas with Eurovision, it's like I, I could imagine. It's like with Eurovision, I can imagine sitting with friends who say, "Oh, I haven't seen Eurovision. Oh, I'll just boot it up. We'll, we'll have a bit of a laugh for an hour and a half for two hours." Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've just remembered it's two hours, and that's mm. it's too long. Again, it's too long. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. the whole semi-final sequence should be cut in half. Mm. If it were, again, if it was if it was trimmed better, if the edit was better, I would I would gladly give this four stars. I I will I will concede and go to three point five. You sure? You happy with that? Yep, yep. Because yeah, in terms of in terms of the better overall film, I mean, yeah, Bridge of Spies is is a, a higher caliber of film. But again, why not? When we compare Bridge of Spies to Eurovision, it's very it's, 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 yes. <laughs> why not? It's it's like it, it, this, this is this is going to make uh, upcoming Twitch show a lot more interesting <laughs> if we're going to have these arguments. This is where we need an audience to tell us. We, no, you go this direction. We have a poll for five minutes and then we just go, yep, they agree. That's fine. <laughs> yes, uh, your vision, the story of Fire Saga is going to be 3.5 for us here on Film Raw. It's one of the few films I would recommend the soundtrack more than the film, but still watch the film. But still, yeah, I think the visuals with the film, I mean, especially when you see the Double Trouble first performance. Oh, so good. So and it's good. like, and, it, and it's just like, it's like, this is, this is shot like Eurovision in performance. This is edited like Eurovision performance. And even got Graham Norton just going, oh, oh so this isn't go, advertently we bad. Did, we did talk about Graham Norton. Graham Norton is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's clearly just pretending it's, he's, he, he, I don't think he's given any lines. He's just clearly watching the film and like, yeah, feeling. Going, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a bit of a spoiler, but the, the, when hearing Graham Norton swear, Really, really added to that sequence to me. It's like, <laughs> oh shit! So oh. <laughs> it's the, it's the second best use of oh shit I've heard in any film. The best, of course, is um, Anthony Hopkins in Four Ragnarok pretending to be Tom Hiddleston playing him. <laughs> it's, like, it's that moment where Four turns up and he just goes, oh shit! It's, it's, uh. it, it, that is a genuine, brilliant. That's one of the best deliveries of a uh, of a swear word I've ever heard in my life. Just, just watch Four like, Ragnarok. It's brilliant. I still like Morgan Freeman in Wanted, just saying, "Somebody, please shoot this motherfucker." <laughs> yeah, that, that film's rubbish. Oh, I have a soft spot it's for wanted. So bad. Like the only good thing is watching Chris Pratt being smashed of a keyboard. Like is Chris Pratt in wanted? He's he's the asshole colleague, the um teammate. Is he? Yeah, this is years before Parks and Rec. 
I need, I need to explore this He plays this now. his obnoxious colleague. The one when, who gets we're the- not ending the show now until I discover the truth. <laughs> oh my God, you're right. Yep. Oh. There we go. My world's been shook. <laughs> Shattered. But I, I, still I still just kind of like the curving of the bullets. Oh, I hated you know. that. I hated that so much. <laughs> who, say, who says bullets can go straight? If I just fling my gun you, 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 you know the filmmakers, they were like, when they made that, when they were working on that scene, they were thinking to themselves, yeah, this is better than The Matrix. Well, this is, uh, it was directed by Tamur Manbetov, who did Nightwatch Daywatch. And I love Nightwatch Daywatch. I haven't seen those. I have heard good things. I do need a good it's like shout. It's, it's like, a, it is like the crazy Russian version of vampires and stuff, which is really, really cool. I got told it's the, it is the Russian Matrix. In a sense, because it's like, it's... Um, is that more yeah, aesthetics as opposed to plot? Aesthetic, because the first, the first edition, the first film, Nightwatch, is really cool because they had a ver- the version they sent to cinemas. The subtitles are kind of animated as well, so it's not just normal subtitles on the bottom. So, like, they want to do like special effects, like if they're talking about draining blood, you'll see you'll see red subtitles slowly kind of being drained of color. Oh, cool! For example, so it was like it just it added to the experience. You kind of got you more engaged. From just like, well, we can just put them at the bottom. So it sounds more like so, a Russian blade. I'll have to give it a go. Yeah. But I like Wanted. I know it's not perfect, but I like I like Danny Elfman singing about the little things at the end. Little little things. And yeah, just just stupidity of just flinging. It's like yes, I'm just going to wave my arms with guns all around, and everyone's going to die. It's like the Matrix mixed with uh, gun karate from the Equilibrium, and it's just gone horribly wrong. So would we have another <laughs> falling out? As much as because we're probably not going to talk to each other after our Eurovision argument. Uh, if I gave if I gave wanted one star, you'd give it five, right? I'd give it about three, three point five. Okay, you haven't totally lost your mind. Okay, that's fine. No, no. <laughs> I need clue you know is, I need to go. Clue is five stars. Clue is five stars. I'm never going to change my rating on Clue. It's, it's, I was just, do you do you have like a set? This is this is the bar. Like this is my five star movie. Like. Well, sometimes the five star movie for me is kind of it comes down to things like watchability. Yep. Uh the quality of the film that's made. It, it's kinda of like it has to be the total package. Because I think I, I remember having this conversation with someone before, so I'm like, but yeah, but what is the best picture? It's like when we were talking about awards, mm. but what is the best picture? And my argument is, well, the best picture is the film that encompasses all the great technical and artistic merits of the filmmaking process. So performances, direction. Um, story te- story te- 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 the, the music it's like every bit it's like it's a, it sounds really trivial but lots of things make films work yeah they really and, do. and it only takes one thing to make a film not work yeah exactly it, um, I, I mean so as, when, much, as much as we're quite critical obviously of bad films because we want films to be good mm. it's, it's important to appreciate that no one goes out of their way to make a bad film no they don't they generally don't and even sometimes the films that aren't great, they still have a bit of likability to them. Mm. I know, I know Wanted is complete bullshit. I was just oh, saying, I'm looking at my film collection thinking, what are my favourite films that I know I would give a low star rating? And like, the first one that springs to mind is Highlander. I love Highlander, but I'd be, I would be struggling to justify giving it three stars, to be yeah. honest. And I think kind of, Flash yeah. Gordon's very similar. Going back to Queen soundtracks, like. Well, it's, it's like the the period of Steven Seagal films when they were actually in the cinema. They they are they, <laughs> they are all from, two or one star films. You know that, right? <laughs> but but 
It's like I'll always hold the argument to my heart of Under Siege 2 being in the greatest sequel ever made because it's on a train. It's that and Godfather, it's, right? It's, it's it's the it's the it's the poster of Seagal just hanging off the front of the train with his gun, like and like it's like I'm hanging on for dear life because I'm no longer. <laughs> for our secret project, you're going to have to get me drunk and watch every Steven Seagal movie, and then we're going to have to judge them accordingly. Because I, have... I think I think the best I think the best thing for that one will be the best. Steven Seagal films that actually went to a cinema. Theatrical so, release, yeah. Yeah, so if they went to DVD, no. <laughs> so that also includes things like Machete. Machete. Yeah. Oh, mm. that was, oh, interesting. So yeah, again, again to another, just to look at my film collection, like, I, I love the Harry Potter movies, but if I'm being honest, a lot of them are free stars at best, yeah. um, with the exception of maybe, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the um, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban and Deathly Hollows 2, which I'd probably push for... Mm. Five. I mean, I'm being like, really generous. It's like Fantastic Beast. I'd probably oh. give the first one about three, and the second one I would give two because it's like the second one's boring as hell. <laughs> I didn't watch the second one because I had so many. I had so many Harry Potter fans de- just depressed coming out of that film. And the only Harry oh. Potter fan I know who really liked it is a sort of Harry Potter fan who likes everything that like J.K. Rowling can do no wrong. <laughs> Which mm. is a conversation for another day. That, that's probably better. It's well, probably com- we, 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 we touched on that on an episode of The Big Stomp. It's another show produced by Bunkers of the UK. You can watch the latest episode now on twitch.tv slash Bunkers of the UK. We release them as a video podcast. So, uh, yes, you can enjoy that one. I, yes, I was just going to say, the, it goes the other way as well. I, I, I mentioned I, I started watching Akira Kurosawa's um, Seven Samurai, which is obviously a highly rated movie. Uh, I believe mm. it's like, 20 on the 250 as well and um and spielberg described it as being um i think he described it as being um he, he described akira kurosawa as the shakespeare of cinema based mm. on such films i watched it and my brain told me this was a five-star movie like everything worked it was a, like a genuinely incredible experience just mm. didn't resonate with me and so okay. I, I i i'd probably have to watch it again but there's I, I do want to watch it again because I, I could tell that it was an exceptional movie. I just didn't click uh, with me, and that's, that's I think it's I think it's important to um to uh, be appreciate that, especially when you're critiquing a film. Mm. Have, 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 have there any films where you've watched and you go, "That's an excellent movie"? I'll probably never watch it again. There's there's quite a few that spring to mind. I can't think of any off the top of my head. A lot of Oscar um, nominees, to be honest, actually. Uh, this is fun. Yeah, it's a point, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think I, I need to actually consult what I've I've watched. I've given five stars before. I mean, it's like it's like Free Solo, for example. We gave Free Solo five stars. Mm, probably never watch it again. I might watch it again, but I wouldn't necessarily. But I wouldn't be upset if I didn't watch it again. Mm. That's that's the side of kind of thing. It's like I've watched. It's like I've watched the Godfather films probably properly once. I'm no, it's like I've no real desire to go back and watch them. Maybe again when they get released on 4K or something. Like well, we reval- evaluate them. So it's interesting because yeah. obviously when you were watching the Godfather and Godfather Part Two, you you were consciously aware of how excellent the movie was, but it just yeah. didn't didn't click with you. Yeah, it's like it's like certain Michael Mann films as well. I love Michael Mann films. I love Heat. I love things like even even the even the lower lower tier ones like Miami Vice, Public Enemies, uh, Manhunter, stuff like that. It's like, there's some really good films from Michael Mann. I even like Black Hat. It's a bit of a weird one, <laughs> Black Hat, with Chris Hemsworth as expert hacker. But uh, but the thing is with Michael Mann, Michael Mann always kind of returns to kind of doing director's cuts, per se. and you, or, or just kind of like 
slightly better edited versions. He doesn't necessarily call them his director's cut. It just basically just goes, yeah, it's kind of like after reflection. It's like, this is how I would have made, I, I should have made the film. Uh, and usually they're, they're quite they're quite interesting sides, especially in Miami Vice. Miami Vice, he's done like an like an unrated cut, which is basically just changes the open a bit and a few, because his, his cuts aren't just about scenes and that. It's about the sound cues. It's about the music cues. It's about certain information that he puts in, in scenes, which I also find quite fascinating. Mm. But anyway, but yes, we've gone, we've gone a little bit off topic, but uh, yes, it's been a fun episode. So I hope you have enjoyed listening to it. We are back again with a brand new episode very, very soon. As always, you can email us and let us know your thoughts on the films that we've covered with filmraw at bunkerzilla.co.uk. Don't forget, you can also follow Bunkerzilla on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter with the magic word Bunkerzilla UK, all one word. So until next episode, enjoy your film, stay safe. I've been Ian Bolton, and as always, I've been joined by Christian R. Allen. Nil pois. Indeed, nil pois. Anyway, stay safe and keep it cinematic. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.